this was awful, <laughs> like truly awful, but it was awful on a scale that has to be discussed. It's a trade deadline, but also there's a whole lot of other shit that's just gone down. So hey, we got Connor here, we got Ronan. Hello. And we've got Sean. Hello. How are we getting on, lads? How's all? We'll start down in Cork, Fitz. You had some nice news there. Yeah, well, the, the news, happy news wasn't in Cork, but uh, my sister just uh, gave birth to her uh, son, Rian. Uh, so delighted with that. Everything went uh, as smooth as can be expected. Uh, and uh, she seems to be in a... Very happy mood, although maybe that's the epidural to some extent. Uh, but uh, I think the plan is to be out of the hospital and I'll be heading down the cabin in the next couple of days to see the guy in, in person. Excellent. And uh, are you hoping to convince him to be a Seahawks fan or what's your what's your pl- game plan there? <laughs> the thing is that the dad is, uh, David, is quite sports mad. So I think he, I might be booted out of the kind of sports zone because he'll be overwhelmed with all of his options. I think he's into football, rugby, hurling... GA football, pretty much anything. Fair so enough. Yeah, trying yeah. to fit the NFL in there might be tough, but I'll try and do the side. See how it works. You just have to wait till his teenage years when he's rebelling against his parents, and then his slight rebellion as he gets into one of the sports his dad isn't as into. <laughs> yeah, have you heard about this uh, really cool thing called Red Zone? Mm. That's it's hyperactive enough that maybe that would keep a, a teenage brain actually engaged. It's a, it's a, it's a, a gateway drug to wiffle ball. Very <laughs> <laughs> right, good. Have it yourself, Sean. How's all in Waterford? Yeah, it's grand. I was up in Athlone for the long weekend visiting sister and nieces. Uh, we had a wonderful day trying to keep the nieces calm, which was fun. <laughs> um, yeah, it was good. Good to see everyone. Uh, apparently, Waterford has been subject to relentless rain deluges for the past week, so it's good to escape some of that. But uh, yeah, I'm not enjoying the Waterford weather. It really has turned quite dramatically into this is now the wettest place in the entire universe <laughs> um, which is I guess it's what you pay for the sunny southeast is you get the you get the other side of it when it's when it's winter time but uh, mm. yeah also with Halloween yesterday and grand total of two trick-or-treaters or two separate sets of trick-or-treaters came oh uh, very good which was means lots of leftover sweets for myself and my wife Sarah so that's mm. good also I'd say I have a big bowl of sweets left over here we had a couple more than that but uh but also, I may have in somewhat intentionally over-purchased sweets so that we have a, <laughs> we have a backup pile just in case any late trick-or-treaters come around. Um, yeah, no, in nothing. fairness, we did run out one year, so it is something that should be avoided as much as possible. So yeah. it's always better but to have too many. Also, also, mine came immediately afterwards. Some kids came calling around, like, was it the Sunday beforehand or something? And I was just not prepared at all. I was like checking the covered presses, going like, I can't give them loose biscuits. Like, <laughs> so eventually, we just like found we had a bit of cash, and we like we just gave cash to the woman, said here, get them some sweets there, would you? <laughs> but yeah, uh, I have a slightly hyperactive doggy here down beside me, so he may uh, bark in his thoughts on the podcast as we go on as Mairead's down at her sister's graduation in Cork at the moment. But uh, yeah, no, we had a, we had a fun Halloween apart from Loki is not a fan of the like Fallujah style conflict zone the cabra turns into with all the fireworks for a few days. Um, 
and my wife completed her marathon on Sunday. Uh, got a good time as well, three fifty. So uh, she's very happy with that. But uh, also means that she can't really walk at the moment, which is good fun. Uh, so hopefully she got a lift from the training cork. Uh, <laughs> I can only hope. But um, yeah, let's swing into the news. Like we said, there's a lot to get through this week. Uh, we'll start off with some of the big news stories that came out. So the trade deadline came and went. We'll get into the trades now in a second. And uh, just as that was done, we thought, God, well, that's smart that we held off so that we could talk about all the trade stuff. And then news started to come out of Las Vegas, where the Raiders have fired their head coach, Josh McDaniels, and their GM, Dave Ziegler, uh, less than two seasons after hiring them. So obviously last year they only won six games, won six to eleven, and so far the season has been three and five. Um, they have pretty much been not well liked in the building. Uh, low player morale was cited quite a number of times. A lot of big moves that just didn't really work. So like bring in Devonte Adams, but then they get rid of Derek Carr to bring in Jimmy G. Adams is unhappy. You have a holdout of the running back Jacobs. You just overall have a very unhappy sounding organization. And then that being paired with some of the performances on field that we've been seeing, it's just not been uh, very impressive at all. The attempt to make uh, the Patriots again in in Vegas didn't quite work so linebackers coach Antonio Pierce who I don't know a lot about has been made the interim head coach and the assistant GM Champ Kelly has been made the interim GM Uh, and they're now looking at possibly starting uh, Aidan O'Connell instead of Jimmy Garoppolo after uh, what was a pretty terrible outing this week uh, to the Detroit Lions and overall not a great performance all this season so we kind of saw this one coming a mile off, lads. We've been talking about this being one of the worst coaching setups and kind of a very confusing roster, even player usage-wise. But I think what surprised us was the timing here, that obviously they're in trouble, they need to make some changes, so they don't trade any players, they don't trade any coaches, they wait until they can't change the roster, then chuck the GM and the coach and leave the interims with you know the dross that's on the roster essentially as it stands um does this make any sense to any of you uh it i suppose if you believe the stories that there essentially was a player's revolt or, or something of that equivalent then i guess it makes sense. the timing the time is literally you cannot pick a worse time to fire both your head coach and your gm like three hours after the trade deadline when you can't you whoever comes in can't do anything. So you've basically written off the season completely, but you still have to play half the season ahead. I mean, it's it's just, it's the very act of the firing kind of bleeds into just the irrationality of the whole process. At no point has anybody been making any good decisions in either hiring McDaniels uh, and Ziegler, Ziegler's various decisions about personnel to bring in and, and not bring in the the... the the weird situation at quarterback where they have Jimmy G looking pretty crap and they've got, you know, a rookie who's unproven that they're going to stick in in the middle of the season and hope he can save them. They're only like a game and a half outside the wildcard spots at the moment. They're three and five. They're not like it's, they're not, it's not like it's they're 0 and 8 or, or 1 and 7 or something and the season is over and they can be like, okay, now we can rebuild with this rookie quarterback and give this guy some time as interim head coach to maybe see if he can win the job or something or while we prepare for the next one. It's, yeah, the timing just, I, we all knew it wasn't going to work. 
this this recreation of the Pats thing didn't work in Houston. It, it was never working here. There was at no point when it ever looked like the Raiders were a good team. So why wait till now is, is I guess, the big question. Oh, sorry. The cat just knocked over a thing. <laughs> Very good. Hi, Harry. Fitz, can continue. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, the cat is probably about as coherent as this uh, Vegas Raiders team right now. Um, <laughs> you effectively are talking, as Sean says, as a, a move that seems to be done just in the most strange circumstances. As Sean alluded to there, there is reports that uh, Mark Davis, the owner, went to the veteran players, presumably like Devontae Adams and, and Josh Jacobs would probably be in there, um, and asked them, like, what's going on? And they basically said, it sucks. It sucks. Please help. And... Uh, basically in the middle of the night uh, it was like after 12 on the east coast I suppose in Vegas it would have been like nearly 12 o'clock he just went okay put out the re- the report saying we're firing but our head coach and our GM this is just very unusual behaviour uh, well, they've, they've but- also sorry just there uh, it, about an hour or so ago they've also fired their offensive coordinator Mick Lombardi as well yeah, so obviously we all know that having Lombardi as a name doesn't help you much in terms of an offensive coordinator, although I think he might be he might be like the Michael Lombardis instead of the Vince Lombardi. Yeah, you know, I think the, he's the other Lombardis. Yeah, you know, sworn enemies, I'm sure. But um, The like hurling Lombardis is who would presume. But like, look, the whole like Las Vegas experience of the last two years, obviously it came off the disaster that was the end of the John Gruden era, obviously with all of the uh, stuff that came out during part of the... Uh, of the investigation into Washington. It's just like one of those things. And then he basically, I don't want to say panic hired, but obviously he hired someone he'd heard of, someone that has gone through a bunch of coach hiring cycles. And Josh McDaniels, like, after, like, spitting out on the Colts when he had agreed to go with them a few years ago, and after having a disastrous Denver tenure, you know, he was with the New England long enough that he was, like, a high, someone who was always talked about. And I don't know, it kind of feels like Vegas Raiders aren't one of those organizations that's really, you know, digging into the analytics and digging into everything to kind of get to the best uh, possible outcome. They feel like a team that, that works off vibes. And that's kind of what you saw over the last few years. They give a big contract uh, to Chandler Jones in free agency. As you said, they swapped, uh, you know, Devontae, they got the trade a load to get Devontae Adams, give him a huge bunch of money so he can hang out with his friend Derek Carr. And then after what was admittedly not a great year, you get rid of Carr, not for like Aaron Rodgers, but for fucking Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah, who, who can't throw ha- the football in the way that suits Devontae Adams' skill set. Yeah. Like, and, and it also has like an injury that he literally had to waive liability for uh, before the season. Yeah. And now, look, the injury he picked up during the season, I don't believe it was related to that, but like. It didn't make sense, except that McDaniels and Garoppolo are obviously both in the New England tree, and so it's like, hey, get my mate back, let's make New England happen, and so uh, Jacoby Myers, but that just kind of undoes what you did the first time, and then, obviously, Josh Jacobs wasn't happy during the offseason, because they wouldn't give him money, albeit that happened to a lot of running backs this offseason, it just, the whole thing felt off, like, Max Crosby works, everything else feels dumb, and the entire roster is just kind of weirdly up and down, some, you know, obviously really good players, but loads of just treadbare, you know, fill-in guys like jags basically and it didn't make any sense and now they've done this and now they're going to make another go of it in the off season like obviously pierce will be given an opportunity to impress and mark davis seems like the kind of guy who might hire him if he impresses enough but um, like they, like basaccio did a good job when he was in his interim for them and they swapped out of him like i i i if i was any kind of professional in the sport i'd be steering as clear as i can of this team like yeah well i think they're they're kind of going into that bottom tier of ownership group where players coaches 
personnel guys are going to go, if I have a better option, I will probably take the better option. Like, yeah. Vegas are now just, they're an entertainment product. They're a distraction. They're there so that more tourists will, like, flow into Vegas mm. every weekend, uh, usually, you know, the fans of the other team, and just join, like, they're no more than the Bellagio or any other casino in terms of just being another piece of entertainment. Like, Pierce is a, a former player. He played for, uh, I think, nearly 10 years uh, with the Giants, so obviously he's a guy who you at least should be expect to get the morale up and will understand the players, and people are talking him up, as you imagine, the reports come out pretty quickly from, from his supporters saying he's like got a real presence, he's a leader yeah. of men, etc, etc, but very inexperienced, he had a few years in the college uh, game uh, coaching, but he's only been in the NFL for, for two years uh, here as a linebacker coach, and now promoted to HC, so... You know, you might see a spike, but I don't really see, you know, unless he really impresses the Jamaican. And Jam Kelly, yeah. uh, similarly, we'll see where that goes. But yeah, and very, the, very weird. And now, and now it's ending with Aidan O'Connell being made starting QB. Well, well this, well, this is strange. the thing as well. So the Aidan O'Connell QB thing is very similar to what happened last year. So if you remember at the tail end of last year, uh, they benched Derek Carr. And part of the reason was that if Der- Derek Carr had a clause in his contract that if he couldn't pass a physical, he got additional guaranteed money because he wouldn't be tradable, and that's why they didn't want him to get injured. Uh, they have given the same type of contract to Jimmy Garoppolo, so he's already guaranteed a little over a million dollars next year, which is not great for them, but he also gets an additional $11 million if he's on the roster on the fifth day of the league, and if he's injured, they can't cut him. So... <laughs> So there might be some of that going on still. Yeah, so it's, it sounds like they are trying to extract themselves from that situation. But it also means that the GM is going to be coming in with, a, presumably at this stage, not very in any way tradable player because he has a large salary cap hit and now has an even more extensive injury history. And he has to try and manage the fact that he's going to still have to pay him the guts of $12 million but, if but he's that, that, uninjured that, that, and not on their roster. That's like, why it's even stupider, right? Like, look, if you'd fire, if you'd, if you'd fire, like, obviously this came, like, they were playing Monday night, so I'll look at some excuse there. But, like, if they had fired him, like, on Monday night... Some they probably could have traded Jimmy G if they'd eaten some of the money. They I was I was I, I was thinking like get, like Minnesota, eat, eat some money. Minnesota else. was exactly what was in my head because I think that that would fit the Kirk Cousins style of play yeah. more than Josh Dobbs would. You know, I don't think it would happen, but maybe even like the Jets. Like if if the Vegas Raiders were just like, you give us like a second or a third, and we'll eat the money this season and then move on next season. Like I think that you know, like they could have got something for him, and they could have certainly got something for Devontae Adams, and they definitely could have got something for Josh Jacobs. Like it wouldn't have been like a king's ransom, given the kind of panic you were doing in. But you could have got something. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. Doing it like a few hours after the trade deadline, as Sean says, just seems to be the most inept move. And they're basically mm. stuck at what they have—a bunch of unhappy players. And you're just hoping that this Antonio Pierce, with his uh, your profile as a former NFL player, can just kind of calm the horses and keep this going till the end. Yeah. But. What are they going to do at the end? I have no fucking idea. I'm sure we'll have some more to report on this whenever we start getting the uh, the the articles explaining what was going on behind the scenes. I am intrigued, given the timing I was saying to you guys just before the podcast, whether or not uh, there was a disagreement because to fire the head coach and the GM at this stage, could it be that there was in-depth talks about direction of the team with the owner and they wouldn't budge on it and because well, they didn't budge on it, this I, is what it's, happened? It's, it's, but like, you know, like it wasn't like last week, you know, week uh, seven, like Josh McDaniels did choose to play Brian Hoyer over Aiden O'Connell and now Aiden O'Connell is starting. So, yeah, you know, that might be an indication. That might be that, an indication uh, of some, some of the splits. Some yeah. beliefs of what you need from the quarterback yeah. position. Uh, and and also just in the, in the in the beautiful way that the contracts work here as well, Josh McDaniels, I believe, uh, has four years, which he will continue to be paid uh, on his contract because you get continue to get paid when you're fired from your coach contract until you get a new one. So uh, yeah, because I think they they managed to squeeze out of the Gruden one because there was like it was kind of because, because of he was racist. Um, 
but you know you, you get out of one stupid contract and then it's like hey let's get right back into that chair right let's move on and have a look at the trades that did happen uh you know teams that were active at this point uh before the cutoff um a couple of big ones chicago have traded the 2024 second round pick for montez sweat from the washington um, washington decided they were in a real selling mood so they also traded chase young to san francisco for a third round pick um we'll start with these two washington obviously in sell mode they are very clearly not wanting to give Ron Rivera like the kind of last run that he might want. They're saying we'll take the value for this. I am deeply surprised by the Chicago move, uh, taking, you know, picks for the future, spending them to bolster a defense on a team that's not going anywhere this year. Uh, not not massively dissimilar from the Claypool trade, except this is a better quality player, at least. Uh, I don't know what the idea in Chicago is, whereas San Francisco picking up Chase Young for a third round pick. He's out of contract at the end of the season, but if he leaves, so they're giving up, apparently the third they're giving up is a compensatory pick. And if he leaves and gets a contract somewhere else, they'll probably get a third round pick back anyway. So mm. this is essentially a free rental for them if they can't get a long-term deal done, uh, just deferring it an extra year for the pick. Uh, I think great job from San Francisco, confusing job from Chicago. And also I got to feel the Chicago guys are like, wait, wait, why are we giving a second round pick and they're giving a third round pick and we're definitely picking higher than them anyway. So it's almost two rounds of a difference. Yeah, like, look, like, I think you could definitely argue about the value, but like Montez Sweat is a guy who's been a consistent performer for Washington uh, throughout basically his entire uh, rookie contract. He's in the final year of his contract now, uh, though they can pick up the tag, I believe. And, you know, I think it's a situation where edge rusher is one of those positions where there's usually basically nothing in free agency and it's very hard to find guys consistently outside like the top like 20 picks or so who are worth picking basically so i think trading like what will probably be like a the pick between 30 and 40 probably um for montez sweat makes enough sense because they're such a talent deficient team and they have basically infinite cap space and we know free agency doesn't offer much value that i kind of get the logic like i don't know if this is going to the bingo will take them to the next level because they have so much work to do in the draft and free agency and trade market probably uh, in the upcoming off season and obviously there'll be big questions about the whole quarterback thing if they are high up in the draft which looks likely um whether they want to stick with fields or, or yeah well they're or, gonna have two of the top three picks yeah. at the moment aren't they so yeah, so I, I kind of get it. Like, get a, you, you can't get pass rushers, pass rushers basically anywhere except for if you draft them well or via trade. Free agency just isn't an option and you have a bunch of money, so why not give it to this guy in the interim because you're probably going to have a rookie contract uh, for a while. Uh, as for Chase Young, that is a more classic, like, half-year rental. I would be surprised if San Francisco could make the money work to get him in there. Now, obviously, his career up to this point has been marred by injuries. Obviously, picked uh, number two overall, so a lot of hype coming into the NFL. But his statistics this year, uh, not the sacks necessarily, but all of the kind of advanced analytics and pressure rate, etc., have been at career bests, basically, even outstripping his um, Rookie of the Year campaign um when he entered the league so for san francisco which has obviously got a very stacked defensive line already obviously with bosa and armstead and other guys you know that's and hargrave like that's a huge upgrade if he 
continues to play even just at the level he has been in Washington this year and you'd imagine given all of those other weapons it'll be easier for him to get things done um, in that thing and San Francisco obviously you know coming off three losses and you know with a division rival making some trades and you know the Philly probably their biggest rival making a trade last week or Kevin Byard they went hey we're all in we're looking to win and they make another huge move like the one that they made for uh, it's not as big as CMC last year but it's probably just that level below and this guy could really pop off oh, because yeah. against that defensive line they're not going to be able to kind of double block this guy. Not at all. Yeah. Uh, Seattle decided to look at the defensive line as well. So they've traded a 2024 second and a 2025 fifth for defensive lineman Leonard Williams from the New York Giants. And they've also signed a free agent Frank Clark, who gave a load of money back to get the fuck out of Denver. Um, so Seattle bolstering their line. Minnesota have picked up Josh Dobbs uh, and... Uh, conditional seventh round pick for a sixth round pick so they're just bringing in a quarterback obviously with the injury that we'll talk about to Kirk Cousins uh, they also traded a lineman to Jacksonville Ezra Cleveland for a sixth round pick Buffalo picked up Rasul Douglas for a third round pick and getting a fifth round pick back from Green Bay bolstering their back end although I think they probably could have done with a secondary weapon Detroit have traded a sixth round pick for Donald Peoples-Jones from Cleveland adding a bit of depth into their wide receiver core but obviously you can tell with the <laughs> cost he's not been the highest level performer of late and atlanta have traded for contavious street and a seventh round pick from philly for a sixth round pick uh this is obviously to kind of fill the hole that grady jarrett has left on that defensive line and buffalo have picked up leonard fournette playoff lenny to try and help their running game which hasn't really been going too much and green bay at the same time also extended edge rusher rashawn gary four years 96 million quid so what do we think here? Like I said, I like the Buffalo trade. I think they want to bolster up that defense that's been underperforming. Rasul Douglas should be able to step in and play for them straight away. I do think that maybe it was the other side of the ball they should have been looking at, though. Well, I mean, they did sign running back as well. So uh... Yeah, but they signed Leonard Fournette. <laughs> like... Playoff Lenny. Let's go. Yeah. Like, we're near that's the like going, Oh, I, I need a car. Very good. What did you pick up at the shop? I bought a tire. Like... <laughs> well, I would say the Bills... I mean, I think that... On the injury front, it's the defensive side that they've been hurting, and the secondary in particular that they've, they've lost a few players with. So it makes sense in in that in that regard that they are plugging the holes that, that have appeared. But obviously, the Bills offensively, the long running problems in terms of running back or the general running game suggest they should have probably done more than pick up some a veteran who's a, a good bit past his prime. But uh, I mean, when you think about you have to when you think about these things that have been done, you have to compare it to some teams didn't do anything at all. So at least in that sense, the Bills are trying to make moves and plugging gaps and getting the best value that they can. Um, the other one, I guess, that, that kind of stands out to me here is, is obviously the, the Minnesota one. Obviously, with Kirk Cousins, the Viking season was already kind of... I mean, it was showing signs of a little bit of life, and they were, you know, I think they're back up to 500 now or something yeah, close yeah, to it. They're so obviously they still think that they're in the hunt even without even out Jefferson and bring in Josh Dobbs although apparently he may not even be the starter they may still be going with Jaron Hall which I think they'll probably have to go with Jaron Hall this week anyway uh, yeah until he gets into the playbook speed, or whatever but, yeah. Yeah. but uh, give him one shot but if he isn't good he'll be uh, probably benched I mean Dobbs has shown flashes in Arizona I wouldn't say I'm as high as on him as say Ronan was earlier this year um, but He's, he's definitely, I mean, he's maybe not quite cal- starting caliber, but he's definitely would be good as a backup. So he's fine as an injury replacement. I don't think the Vikings are going to, going that much further 
uh, anyway. Um, in terms of the obviously the Donovan People Jones one is he's shown flashes and in Detroit where maybe the pressure's not on him and he maybe only has to do one thing and, and allow Amon Ra and all the rest of them to to the main stuff he could be an interesting kind of explosive long long throw kind of player um, so it, it could it makes it makes sense all of these kind of there's, the, there's logic to most of these in terms of what yeah. teams are attempting to do. Uh, uh, although nobody's, other than Minnesota, nobody's filling a, a very clear need or deficiency in a very obvious way. I like the Seattle moves. I think Leonard Williams will help them out in the line. I think Frank Clark uh, is he's, he's probably not like 18 games good, but like he tends to turn it on the playoffs and they're, they're eyeing that pretty hard, particularly with the recent losses of San Francisco. So I think bolstering up in that position, given the defense has been better than I was expecting, is probably a good move. And I yeah, think they, like, they, they they got Clark for a steal as well, didn't they? Like he's not charging them very much. Yeah, he's basically playing for, for veteran minimum, and he's obviously kind of part of the rotation of guys who will replace Uchenna Nwosu alongside Daryl Taylor and a few other guys. Um, I think Leonard Williams, uh, he's kind of approaching thirty. Um, I assume they're going to extend them. It'd be surprising if they traded a second round pick and didn't at least have an idea of what he was looking for in contract terms, which would probably be the kind of the tier two type contract. And he's been just a he's just a plus type player, like a kind of lower Pro Bowl type player. Very good against the the, the run. Uh, it's effective as a pass rusher and adds to a rotation which is kind of very thin. Uh, they've kind of the top like they're kind of starting two or three in the interior have been fine, but they basically had nothing behind them. So bring in Leonard Williams, let him compete, and hopefully if he works out, you'll be giving him a decent contract going forward. Um, and Gary, obviously, a big extension for him in Green Bay, but that kind of goes back to the point I made about the trades for Sweat and Young. If you have edge rushers, usually you're going to keep them. But in Washington, obviously, they're they're trusting in the process, uh, just like uh, uh, they, they're making a bunch of trades in the 76ers, which is owned by the same group, Josh Harris, uh, to get rid of a bunch of veterans. Like, you know, I, I don't think those moves were, were the choice of Ron Rivera. They were probably Josh Harris and yeah. Washington's going that direction. But teams like Green Bay are like, we'll keep what we have, and uh, it probably is a smart move. Yeah, no, of course. We'll move on and look at the injuries around the league. As you see, some of these tie up with some of the trade moves. Big one is Minnesota quarterback Kirk Cousins has uh, damaged his Achilles and he's out for the season, hence the trade for Josh Dobbs. Cousins had been having a bit of a resurgence over the last couple of weeks, obviously the game against the 49ers being a big one. And he had put up a very nice performance against Green Bay and went out in the fourth quarter. Uh, Jets, defensive lineman Al Woods has done his Achilles and is gone for the season. Their offensive lineman Connor McGovern has injured his knee, so he's out for at least four games on IRB boomerang same with west uh, schweitzer the other offensive lineman has hurt his calf and he's a minimum of four games he's out for uh, new england wide receiver kendrick Bourne has torn his acl and has gone for the season and Devonte parker has a concussion so he's now week to week uh which might be why we saw a juju smith schuster touchdown on the weekend uh because new england's already threadbare wide receivers are looking uh less and less at the moment those are the big ones uh, is there anything you want to pick up on those yeah they, they could have traded for Jacoby Myers probably possibly if they knew <laughs> yeah. what was going to happen with the Raiders but uh, I think obviously we have to talk about Kirk Cousins he's having a really good year uh, this year um, he was very productive obviously early on with, with Justin Jefferson and uh, even though Justin Jefferson went out they've managed to turn things around as yeah, Jordan, Jordan Addison, Addison playing real uh, well. has really stepped up so like like they're they're He's one of those players where if you lose him, you kind of go, okay, what do they have after that? I think they have enough offensive talent and they have a decent offensive line, so maybe Josh Jobs can come in and do a job for you. But what is the job you want him to do? Get you to like the seventh seed, which is very possible because the NFC is kind of weak. But 
I don't know what the point of giving it is. And of course, Kirk Cousins, you have to know that they, the, the Vikings chose not to extend them again. That they were kind of, this is the final year. Yeah. And he's obviously going to be have this injury. I have no idea how it affect this market, but based on what he's put up under the Kevin O'Connell area in the last year and a half, I imagine he'll have a pretty healthy market regardless, whether that be from Minnesota or elsewhere. Now he's so. been he's he's been vocal uh, over the offseason that he wants to finish out his career in Minnesota, but I'm not sure if he's Kevin also been O'Connell... vocal about getting fully guaranteed money so you know yeah yeah <laughs> let's well, see if true. those two things can uh, interact <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll we'll see um like we've As seen for, he buys yeah. he buys discount books like he's he probably doesn't need too much more money if that's what he really wants to do is stay in minnesota but this might be a spot where minnesota have been kind of angling themselves towards clearing out all their veterans and starting over so I, i'm not sure kirk cousins fits that rebuild unless he was happy to take like a two-year jobber and train up a guy behind him or something yeah and obviously very familiar with the kind of shanahan mcveigh mcdaniels tree so obviously there's a lot of and you'd imagine more in the in the hiring spree of guys who will be familiar with that scheme and that type of play so mm. yeah he'll have a healthy market uh, overall i don't and know Sean, I do you, you want to give I some respect th- to kirk cousins i i kind of think it's a it's an interesting it kind of may work out in a serendipitous manner in the fact that this kind of allows the Vikings and Cousin to move on to better things rather than feel an obligation to hold on to him because Cousins is kind of in that gray zone of being good enough that you can't really replace him but also not really being good enough to win you a championship. So this way at least they can go, well, he's been injured. We need to go in a new direction. And it makes it easier, I think, at the end of the season to be like, it's time to move on. Yeah. And as you say, Cousins will be picked up by somebody because he is he's 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 better than about half the quarterbacks that... that yeah start he's, the problem is he's not as good as the other half he's the modern day dalton line he's exactly, the exactly, exact yeah. line between franchise quarterback and not although i think it's as much a testament to how much better we expect quarterbacks to be these days that's true like that's true the level is so much higher you don't just have you know manning and brady and then the rest basically um but uh, just in terms of the other injuries like al woods kind of a bit part player two losses to the offensive line probably doesn't help the jets offense i would say no uh, considering they've had issues there kendrick Bourne was probably the most productive receiver for new england so definitely a oh, step by back. some distance yeah. by some distance and you kick out <laughs> Devontae parker so it's really just hey demario douglas he's good right and then juju welcome back but uh yeah and maybe more mike kisicki perhaps uh, but it's it's pretty grim uh, there are a handful of other injuries yeah. matt stafford might or might not play he's yeah, got hurt his in. thumb the the yeah. way he hurt his thumb was interesting to me though because like he got he got hit twice on it and he was fine on both of those uh but then they they called a like him to catch a touch yeah. or was it a touchdown on a two point a two, two point, point two pointer was yeah so they he's already working with an injured thumb and they put him out at wide receiver and get him to catch the ball with that hand and he injures the thumb on that play like yeah. it's just stupid from sean mcveigh now there's no ligament damage or anything like that so it's not a long-term injury but it will basically come down to how long he has swelling because obviously he needs to be able to hold the ball yeah. and, and throw the ball and of course you would expect even if he does play through it and matt stafford's a madman so he might just try and play through it you'd imagine his efficacy might be reduced by it yeah um giants quarterbacks are having troubles as well tyrod taylor sort his ribs so he's week to week but daniel jones is now cleared to play although technically he was cleared to play last week but they were just being a bit careful with him i imagine they won't be now and uh, darren waller has picked up a hamstring injury very early on in that game i think he'd only managed one or two catches before it kicked in uh, 
Um, so he's week to week. Pittsburgh defensive back Mika Fitzpatrick has a hamstring injury, so he's week to week, but he's going to miss Thursday night football. And Willie Gay, Chiefs linebacker, is injured his tailbone, so he's week to week, which is unfortunate given we've already got someone out on IR uh, from that linebacker core. So we're going to need more guys to be stepping up in that spot. Um, any of those you want to talk about? Yeah, look, look, Tarad, obviously good fill-in, good backup, but I imagine they'll basically have to play Daniel Jones now, uh, unless his neck injury, there's something going well, on there. Well, they, they, could, they could build a game plan around negative yardage, which I'm sure we will be talking <laughs> Tom, about. Tommy DeVito, uh, we're going to run the ball, it's going to be great, hey, anyway. Uh, that look, has look, to be, that has to be, like, it's just a joke from an episode of It's Always Sunny, right? Yeah, Where it's just like Danny DeVito. It's Danny DeVito somehow walks onto the pitch having faked his way onto the sidelines pretending he's the backup quarterback. Yeah, and I hope it's not the same area of the ribs that the, the Chargers injured for Tyrod back in the day with their in- interesting Oh, well, yeah, when they when they, in- when they stabbed him in the lung. Yeah, and like Darren Waller, like obviously big loss because they don't really have that much talent in the receiving core and obviously aggravating an existing hamstring injury is not a great sign we'll see hopefully he comes back from it but he's older and it'll be difficult Minka Fitzpatrick a big loss for Pittsburgh obviously they'll want to get back as quickly as possible though hamstring injuries as we know can be a bit tricky um, and will they have an interesting test this week against Tennessee uh, where he probably will be missed and Willie Gay as you say with Nick Bolton out you definitely don't want to be relying on Drew Tranquil and some guys to, to fill the middle of that field particularly uh, given the matchup you have this week mm. and on that lovely note we'll move over and have a look at the games from last week so first up Cincinnati at San Francisco 31-17 to Cincinnati are back, bro. Went 28 of 32 for 283 yards and three touchdowns, as well as 43 yards on the ground. And kind of blasted out this superstar San Francisco defense who allowed over 400 yards. Uh, And it wasn't just all focused in it was spread around quite a bit so chase at 100 yards in the touchdown Mixon back to stand of old school form went over 100 he had 110 in a touchdown and uh, yeah they really looked to be back firing following the i think it was their bye week just before that purdy had a decent day with some mistakes he had 422 yards passing and a touchdown which is you know high for him and uh, quite impressive but then he also had two interceptions and a fumble uh, and it was just a little bit like he felt they were behind in this game and you could see he was trying to dig deep and find a way out for them, but he just didn't quite have it. As you'd say, fits hero ball kind of stuff going on and the Cincinnati defense were able to make the most of that. But yeah, this is three on the trot now for San Francisco losing. Um, it's not a great look for them now. Obviously they do still have some injuries and all that kind of stuff, but yeah, some kind of concerns starting to creep in there because this is them at home as well with Cincinnati having to travel. But uh, for Cincinnati, this is what you wanted to see. You wanted to see Burrow back fully healthy and boy, was he. Like He didn't look like he had any concerns on that leg with his rushing and stuff and uh, he was very accurate. And they're also like just being smart. They just kind of went, well, why are, we, why are we messing around overthinking this? We'll feed Chase quite a bit, get him to start running people off and creating space. And it just worked really well for them. Um, it would make me concerned that maybe there's more exploitable elements to the San Francisco defense than we thought at the start of the year. Because like you'd always say, Sean, uh, with people not playing in the preseason as much, it takes a few weeks for teams to kind of get up to speed and now teams are up to speed and this is three on the trot that san francisco have dropped uh, and it's you know it's to good teams but in some cases 
pointing at the Vikings game, for example, not great teams that are managing to figure them out. Uh, so from Cincy's side, fantastic performance makes you much, much happier about the race for the AFC North. For San Francisco, it's time to kind of put a plug in here and kind of get this ship turned around. Yeah, the, the defense, I mean, if you're talking about the Niners, the, I mean, the offense has some problems that, that I'll talk about in a second, but the defense is the big worry. It's how much that team has fallen off in the three weeks since they humiliated the Cowboys through one of the best defensive displays we're likely to see for a very long time. It's how much they've regressed in just those three weeks. The defense, I mean, I think partly it is uh, a scheme thing that that the, the pass rush was failing all over the place again. They... Burrow was able to get quick, was speeding up his, his, you know, how his release, getting quick throws out, and the Niners just couldn't adjust whatsoever, and that's obviously a coaching issue. The defense just can't seem to get off the field on third down these, these days, or even get to third down. I think there was only like four third downs um, the Bengals had. It was just, it was very, it, it, they just looked lost defensively. There seems to be a general loss of energy and self-belief. Uh, on that side in particular, and they just don't seem to know what the answers are. And maybe this is, if you want, we have talked about the the issues with the, the, the San Francisco defensive side uh, in, in previous weeks. Um, and it's it does look that Steve Wilkes might be the, the weak link in terms of, of that coaching system. Uh, on the offensive side, though, that's not to say the offense doesn't have an awful lot of problems. Firstly, this Niners team is incredibly bad at chasing games. I mean, the the Shanahan stat that he's, his teams just don't win as more as, as long as they're more than eight points behind in a game is just uh, mind-boggling. How how a team this good can be this bad at, at chasing games? A team with this many offensive options can't get the offensive momentum going um, to win. Um, but there were just problems all along in terms of the, the, the offensive side. I think the, the O-line is definitely missing Trent Williams and they weren't getting an awful lot of time for Purdy. And Purdy was, it's interesting, on one side you can kind of see how his game is expanding and he's reading the field sometimes a little bit better. His, there was a good expansion in his run game. I think he had like 60 yards of running or such like, which is something we haven't really seen from before. So there is a, a tick box there in terms of development. But then he's making bad decisions. In The two interceptions particularly were very bad reads of the field, which are things he hasn't done before either. And I wonder if, if the decision-making is something to do with the fact that they've had a few injuries. I mean, Debo is a big one on the offensive side. And I wonder that the loss of options... Obviously, the big thing about the San Francisco offense is that they have so many different skilled players. You can't really cover them all, so there's always likely to be one of them who has a better setup, either is completely free or is a one-on-one, is a better setup than someone else. When you take away the options, that means there probably isn't always an easy read. So Purdy's maybe actually having to go through his reads and pick through, you know, uh, marginal decisions in terms of this is this throw better than this throw and he's not good at that yet and that's obviously an experience thing and something that he can and work upon and he's doing things he hasn't really been asked to do before but I think we're starting to see the edge of Purdy's limitations as a quarterback and how much the system to a degree has protected him I, he isn't as good as he looked up in, in like the, the year or so that he's played up before now. And I don't think he's as bad as he looks now. I think he's obviously somewhere in the middle, but I do think his deficiencies are being exposed by the fact that they, they he doesn't have the luxury options that they've had before. So offensively, it's messy. Obviously, CMC is still looking in form. When, when, they get, when the pieces get back in place, the Niners could look quite strong offensively again. The defense is a bit worrying, though. Steve Wills can't figure out 
if if Steve Wills can't adjust, and it doesn't matter how much talent you have on your on your defensive side, if the scheme isn't working properly. If you were in a situation where, I mean, okay, you got beaten by Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow is one thing, but the week before, when Kirk Cousins is, is owning uh, your your defensive schemes because he can read the the entire field perfectly, that's a very bad place to be, and and the personnel you have isn't going to fix that. So the defensive side is where San Francisco really need to 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 kind of get better quickly um, or there's, there's, there's no way they're going to be able to compete with the Eagles or, or, or the Lions at the top end of the NFC. In terms of the Bengals, not an awful lot to say. Burrow, looking back to full health, looking back in the groove, it's amazing how much a difference that makes. Partly it's because he's such a, he's such a game-changing kind of player. He He's so good and he's got that Montana thing where he can just take a game by the scruff of the neck and, and kind of wring it out until the victory is secured. But the difference between week two Burrow and week eight Burrow and the consequential difference between week two Bengals and week eight Bengals is is amazing to see just how important a franchise quarterback... It's a real demonstration of how important a healthy franchise quarterback is to any team. Um uh, and how much of a difference it makes overall. And also, a little bit of note to the defense, they've really taken a big step up in the past few weeks. They were very good last week. Not last week, the, the week before the bye, they were very good. And very good again here, causing problems uh, all over the place. So Bengals, really, they look like they're back to their best, and that early season hiccup is again being relegated to Bengals just don't start the seasons particularly quickly, which has been the case for the past two or three years. But the Niners, I mean, this is it now. You've got your bye week. Sort these defensive problems out. Figure a way to get an offensive scheme that isn't co- isn't causing Brock Purdy to make all these bad decisions. And you still got the talent to go very far. But definitely, the the, the difference in my confidence level of this Niners team in the last from three weeks ago is it's mind boggling that it's the same team as the team that tore the Cowboys apart because they they look really bad at the moment, which is which is not something I thought I'd say about this t- Niners team. Sean attempting the reverse jinx now to undo what he's done. <laughs> <laughs> it's over. It's over. They should just trade everyone away and, and uh, uh, try and tank in order to get the number one pick uh yeah definitely yeah but you you have a successful quarterback with the last pick it's like well then the first pick will be infinity times better right like um so uh, there's some logic there but like look uh, like i don't have too much to add i would say in the, the steve wilkes issue like i think the biggest problem is that steve wilkes is trying to still run the defense that he inherited um which is kind of from the shanahan i think it's kind of wide dine scheme and it's obviously one that D'Amico ryan and robert sala uh, made a lot of iterations and improvements to during their tenures and both of those guys were hands-on guys they were on the sideline they were rah-rah guys they kind of energized the defense steve wilkes is a more traditional dc he's up in his booth and running a scheme he doesn't understand so he's learning the defense rather than as you say adapting the defense improving the defense making it to its you know next evolution because in the nfl nothing stays still and if you're running D'Amico ryan's defense last year you know people spent the entire offseason figuring that out and then you see guys who obviously come from the wider Shanahan McVeigh uh, system, uh, like in terms of offensive coordinators or, or head coaches in the case of the Bengals, you know, they've seen a lot of these things. They know a lot of these things because they're a lot of these concepts are shared and they spend a lot of time learning about this kind of uh, shared tree as well. So, you know, obviously Joe Burrow in this play was just, you know, like he's, you know, when he's on his top of his game, he could sometimes just be unstoppable. And in this game, he looked genuinely just that he could beat the Niners whenever he felt like it. Um, whether that be throwing it out, uh, especially against the cornerbacks who aren't great, to be fair, uh, to Chase uh, or to uh, T. Higgins. Uh, but also just run the ball when it was needed. Like when the wide open spaces were there, he seemed to know it very quickly and was able to get that 10, 20 yard uh, type rush. He seems to be well past the calf injury that limited him. And he was just looking, you know, 
pure Joe Burrow, which at its best is right up there with Patrick Mahomes as the best in the NFL. And any defense would struggle, but obviously we're talking about three weeks where the defense has underperformed. So there's definitely a concerning trend there. As for the 49ers offense, look, I think Purdy is looking more like a kind of fun rookie with the way they're struggling because you know this system isn't really designed to work as well when you're behind it's really that uncertainty about the pass and the run that really makes the Shanahan scheme really purr and when they're ahead and you obviously expect that either is equally possible then defenses have to respect both and that creates those gaping holes for Debo Samuel and Kittle and Ayuk to exploit but when you're behind obviously they know you're going to pass and you need to basically scheme up and beat them and you need to have guys who can win man on man and stuff like that and while Ayuk is a very good player and Kittle is a good player, you know, uh, well, Kittle can probably win uh, one-on-one against linebackers, but, like, Ayuk doesn't seem like a guy who can win via route running and finesse. He's just a guy who's uh, very fast and, and is improving all the time, but has often got very wide-open looks and can make contested catches. So, I think for Purdy, you just saw him, even, like, his best play of the game, which was his touchdown, was him, like, scrambling around and throwing across his body. And, obviously, very impressive, and it's great to see him make that stuff, and I think that'll stand to him when you get into these tougher games um, later on. Uh, but it's not what you want to be seeing as the base of your offense the base of the offense should be the Shanahan system and for the last three weeks the Shanahan system has not been working uh, whether that be due to uh, circumstances or whether that be due to uh, playing from behind or whatever um, I think better days will come ahead but there's definitely concerns there and I suppose the hope is that when Toronto Arms sorry when um, Trent Williams comes back that will solidify things with Debo Samuel that will help solidify things again um, but definitely you know when you get to the playoffs again you can be damn sure that people have been watching the tape over the last three weeks. So even if they turn around the regular season, then there's major concerns for what they'll do in the playoffs. But I still think the San Francisco 49ers are a very good team. They've obviously improved by bringing in Chase Young, so I wouldn't count them out by any stretch. I would still have them favourites for NFC West. But yes, the uh, the chinks in the armour are definitely there for all to see, and those could become very important when we get down to the real football in January. Yeah. Uh, next up, Kansas City at Denver. Speaking of uh, giving... Jinxes in place. Nine to twenty-four. Uh, Denver break their sixteen-game losing streak against Kansas City. As uh, Russell Wilson has a very relatively quiet day at the office, numbers-wise, one hundred forty-four yards, three touchdowns though, and a fumble. Uh, with their run game going thirty-two attempts for one hundred and twenty-three yards. Uh, the Denver offense was able to take advantage of a lot of short fields because the Chiefs couldn't get out of their own way and kept turning the ball over on offense and special teams. Uh, the, the turnover battle was 5-1 to one in this game, which is not great. Mahomes, who came into the game with a flu, uh, had 241 yards, two interceptions and a fumble and uh, just couldn't find consistency. Even within the offense, there was uh, drops. There was a kind of an, a particularly egregious dropped touchdown pass uh, when they were attempting a comeback at the tail end by uh, Sky Moore, which is unfortunately becoming a little bit of a habit for him at the moment. But this Denver defense did the job very well, kept Kansas City from getting anything going properly. Um yeah, it was a very poor performance across the board from Kansas City's offense. Their defense, I actually think, even though they gave up 24 points, did a pretty good job. Um, like, they... It's only so much one can do whenever you have things like muffing a punt and giving them the ball back with five yards to go and stuff like that. They had long stretches of shutting them down. We saw George Karlaftis come out and have his best game so far with two and a half sacks and a load of tackles in the backfield and disruptions. And overall, like they, you know, they kept the they kept the passing game quiet in that, but they just couldn't do enough because the offense couldn't do anything. There was a brief glimmer of hope coming up to the halftime when. Butker was able to kick the extra point, kick the field goal and bring it to nine points. But 
that's the thing. Like this is an this is a team that's built on the offense, not settling for field goals. And yeah, they just they just weren't up to scratch in this game at all. Hopefully, it was a matter of looking past the game and looking at the Miami Dolphins next week, paired with Mahomes being sick. But for Denver, it's a remarkable turnaround on defense for them. The last two or three weeks since getting the doors blown off them by the Dolphins, um, they've really kind of stepped up a bit, and they because they held Kansas to. 20 points I want to say it was two weeks ago something along those lines um maybe it was 24 but like they've overall played pretty well um but yeah like just a bad game teams have bad games uh hopefully we'll see uh there's concerns obviously about the wide receiver position in Kansas City and uh there was a couple of mistakes from them in this that I wasn't mad happy about but like I said Holmes comes in not feeling well and has a down game like We'll, we'll, we'll see. I'm not. I'm not hitting a panic button. I'll put it that way. Yeah, I think it's just sometimes it's not your day, right? It's just one of those days where, you know, the Broncos were, you know, good. Maybe like maybe good's a little bit strong, but they were decent and they were given a lot of opportunities by the Chiefs, who you know were kind of hitting themselves in the face a fair amount. It's not like Denver weren't above hitting themselves in the face as well. I think they had a field goal blocked, uh, and uh, you know they had some issues of their own. But uh, I think fumbled towards the end of the the first half. So. It's just one of those games where, like, I think Denver, you know, they're a bit of a joke just because of the whole circumstance of how they've ended up in the position that they are. But the reality is, is that, you know, uh, Sean Payton was brought in to kind of fix the offense. And broadly, it's worked. Like, Russell Wilson looks a thousand times better this year than he did last year. And while in this game he didn't have to do very much of all, um, he only had 114 yards for three touchdowns, um, he didn't make mistakes. He knew what he was doing. It like, you know, Payton was scheming up something that... You know, it was working and maybe now uh, there's a kind of melding together of what Wilson wants and what Peyton wants to something that vaguely works. It seems like every time there's a mistake, Peyton's, you know, shouting them out. But it seems like there's at least some equilibrium emerging there for a reasonable offense, which compared to what they had last year is enough. Um, as for their defense, I think the biggest thing is they've just decided, OK, let's trust in our young guys. Like their two uh, young pass rushers, Baron Browning and Benito, uh, both had really good games. They seem to be pressuring uh, Mahomes on a consistent basis. They had the 11 QB hits, three of those uh, went for sacks. And I think, you know, they're, they're a defense like they got rid of Frank Clark. Uh, Kareem Jackson isn't playing because of the suspension. And I think they're a defense that should like they have a couple of veteran guys they can still lean on. But I think, you know, the youth movement is here. They're a team that's probably going to be doing some pretty big changes. And I think it's just, you know, it's better, basically, which is nice. And you saw that Mahomes was having to run around and scramble. It felt like every single play just to make stuff happen. And so the base of the Chiefs defense just didn't exist. Like their biggest play was kind of a, you know, kind of a busted play to Rashi Rice, basically, um, that, that wasn't obviously planned. And just Mahomes looked frustrated. He looked like a man who was sick where nothing was working, no one was helping him, and he just had to just get that shit done. And even Kelsey wasn't kind of as fully exploited, you know, fully. Well, well uh, Taylor wasn't there, well. apparently. Yeah, so like apparently, yeah, the splits, the splits <laughs> is a thing now. I did, um, I did, I did like that. Apparently, Denver started playing Taylor Swift throughout the stadium whenever they won. <laughs> it's just like and, a, and, and additional and game, fuck you. If if the early goings had gone a different way and the Chiefs had got maybe like a ten point lead. The opportunity was there to run it down the, the, the Denver Broncos' throats because the running game was working really well. That's Jack something o, I'm annoyed that they kind of went away from, yeah, to be honest. Yeah, but I, I think just because they were behind and obviously we're the Chiefs, we can beat this defense. Like, you know, uh, yeah, I think they kind of went away from it. But I think, you know, if they had run the ball, Pacheco looked like there was plenty of space there. The Denver run defense has been an absolute disaster this year and there was a route for them to do this a different way. And I think it might be a little bit, uh, I don't know, you know, 
arrogance that they decided not to lean on Pacheco to not do it that way and I get some of it's because of game script but it felt like a lost opportunity there to actually get consistent production and not just have Mahomes scrambling around trying to do magic bullshit which is fine and obviously when it works it's amazing but it wasn't working here they needed something else and the guy just looked pissed off by the end of the game like as I said I wouldn't panic about it we know what the Chiefs are they have a game like this as you said but in the preview last week where they kind of just bumble around and then they obviously are better by the time you get to the real football um but you know definitely something that they'll take some lessons from and uh, they'll obviously have a big opportunity in Germany to uh reset the record and, and establish whether they are if there's something to worry about here or whether they're just you know get back to who they really are yeah it's I mean there, there's obviously systemic problems. The Chiefs haven't really looked great this year. But this game, I think, in particular, was just a problem of execution on both sides of the ball. People were dropping passes. People were missing coverages. It just Generally, everyone just didn't play well. And I think that... I, it, it, I wonder how much that is Pat Mahomes because, you know, he kind of lead. He's like the, the team leader and they, the team probably follows his, his general trend and he just wasn't having a good game. He was... Uh, the interception was particularly ugly. He was just trying to do too much, and a lot of that I think came down to the fact that they they didn't get the ball very often. It was the the Broncos did a very good job at chewing up the clock and limiting possessions. So when Mahomes got on the field, he was like, "I kind of have to do this thing right now." And the problem is when he's trying to force it, the the incredible lack of talent at wide receiver becomes glaring. Right when he's trying to force things to happen and his receivers just can't do anything at all. That's a big problem. And, and I think the, the Kansas City wide receiver thing reminds me a little bit about, I think it might be the 2006 Pats or some some Patriots year in that middle zone between when they won the first three and they, they brought in Gronk to solve all their passing problems. They did kind of have a do a thing where it's like, we don't need good wide receivers because we have Tom Brady. You can just throw to anybody in the world and we'll score loads of points. And it just didn't work. <laughs> they, they, they had to rely on their defense completely to win games. And I wonder that, Casey, you're in that problem where they... They think, oh, we have Mahomes and we have Kelsey, and they really haven't focused on, you know, building up a wide receiver talent base that can actually make the most use uh, of the, of of what the of the superstars that they do have, and that's obviously going to be something down the stretch that could become a big problem because if you are in a tight game and you can't trust your wide receivers, I mean, there's only so much Mahomes and Kelsey can do on their own, and it kind of feels like at this point, it's the running game plus you know, Mahomes and Kelsey will just get things done in the passing game. And I do wonder if that's a little bit of a limited passing game coming down um, the stretch. Also, a bit of a shout-out to run defense, which is kind of the weaker part of the Kansas City defense, completely failed here. And that's something to maybe keep an eye on that they, they need to work on. For the Broncos, I mean, it was just commitment. I think they were, they were just, look, everybody played well. They they had a game plan. They had the defense stayed disciplined and tight coverage. Loads of good individual games on the defensive side. Everyone was doing their job. And the, the defensive improvement, as as, as Connor has, has talked about, has, since the Dolphins debacle, is mind-boggling how much better this defense has gotten now that they've, they've got things so going So apparently on. they've changed a number of players' positions and they've swapped around a lot of their defensive backfield since that game and that seems to have been the kick up the arse they needed, yeah. It certainly, it certainly feels that everyone's more comfortable doing the job that they've been assigned to do now and there aren't as many glaring weaknesses. And this was just a really good example of what happens when you have a defense with a solid game plan and everybody goes out and does their job. You can you can hold a really good offense to nine points if, if everything clicks 
into place. Uh, and on the offensive side, obviously, there was an awful lot of running game going on. Javante Williams put in a good shift. But I do think Russell Wilson looks like he's maybe turning a corner, maybe getting a bit of a sense of what kind of role he can play in this offense. He is still holding on to the ball for too long. And I think there were a number of sacks that just happened because he just was, was getting too greedy with how long he held on to the ball. Um, but yeah, the Broncos certainly seems like the plan is slowly coming together and Sean Payton's vision is slowly clicking into place and they're looking like a team that you wouldn't necessarily want to play, which obviously was the exact opposite of how you, we feel about them maybe three or four weeks ago. So it's looking interesting on that side of it. Um, for Kansas City, the problems are not going away uh, and we can trust that the Chiefs will get good by January because they always seem to. But they need to start solving these problems. And they haven't passed years, but they haven't they don't seem to be making any progress on them this year. So it's it's worrying. It's worrying that they can be found out like this and they don't have when Mahomes isn't on his A game, they don't necessarily have the paths to victories that other teams would have. And that's gonna be quite important, I think, come the playoffs. Yeah. Next up Cleveland that's Seattle twenty to twenty four. Seattle tipped an interception just before the two minute warning and allows Gino to kind of find uh, Jackson Smith and Jigma for the winning touchdown before the defense are able to close out the game. Gino had two hundred and fifty four yards, two touchdowns and two interceptions, so a bit kind of half and half, but the defense was good, two interceptions, a fumble, three sacks and seven tackles for a loss. Uh we did see PJ Walker in this game because uh there's still the uh, shoulder issue for Deshaun Watson. So Walker had two 75 yards a touchdown two interceptions and a fumble so i'd say at this stage cleveland are hoping that watson will be back for next week um yeah so it was uh, the, the run game was all right for them in this one they got over 100 yards and a touchdown and their defense kept them in it and they were in a spot where they could have closed this out like this was very much uh like it was his mistake at the tail end that cost them this game wholeheartedly because if they could have just gotten i think they only needed one more first down realistically to well to put it very difficult uh to to, to achieve they could have pinned them back with a punt at that stage but yeah the cleveland defense kept them in this game and uh fortunately it just kind of wasn't 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 quite enough by the tail end uh for seattle these are the kind of games you have to win cleveland are a very good defense they made some mistakes against them as we said there was two interceptions in this game but they did you know get the job done when it was needed they kept themselves alive at the tail end their defense got that tip ball just to make sure that they're able to get a final possession and put in the extra points and that's the sign of a team that can you know make it to the playoffs and maybe surprise some people and stuff like that because you have to take tight games and even if there's only two minutes left and you know the what's it the amazon wireless statistics or whatever or the where <laughs> statistics telling you that the win probability is 97 percent for cleveland or whatever that uh you just go you know don't don't ever tell me the numbers kind of style um but yeah no a decent performance uh what I, what I quite like to see in this one fits and you can probably chat a bit more about it was i like them mixing in charbonnet a little bit more in the run game he looked pretty exciting um i wonder if maybe this means he's going to start to see a little bit more playing time moving forward because uh in the snaps he was rushing on he did have kind of something to him like he was breaking a couple of tackles and showing good burst in that so is that maybe something that seattle are going to lean a little bit more on yeah well like the run game was not the problem in this game for seattle i think they had like 13 carries for over 100 yards like nearly like nine yards a carry so they probably should have run the ball more ideally when they they got up early quite yeah quite i kind of thought that and they kind of let the game slip away and it just kind of over time it just eked away from them like the interception just before half time allowed it took points off the board 
um, the interception early in the second half gave a field goal to Cle- the Cleveland Browns team, and they just eked their way ahead. And fair play to the Cleveland Browns. Like obviously they're playing with PJ Walker, um, you know, and obviously he's going to make mistakes, and he's obviously not going to be, you know, like your starter for a long time. Although he's probably maybe better than Deshaun Watson, but you know, I think Kevin, you know, like I think they're doing Stefanski's doing a good job of you know making this team hard to beat, and that's that's a credit to him. And in this game, I just, like personally speaking, in the second half, as the second half went on and they were having these long drives, grinding it out, not turning it into a lot of points, but just felt like they were in control of the game. You kind of felt like, okay, like similar to the Cincinnati game, uh, Seattle just wouldn't be able to get it done and they would take another loss here against a tough team. Um, but yeah, the key moment was, you know, coming up to the, the two-minute warning. Uh, they had a chance, I think it was a third and relatively short uh, play. They decided to put it in PJ Walker's hands. Um, he threw it into Jamal Adams' helmet, uh, very intentional, I'm sure. It was off a blitz uh, play, I suppose. And then it fell into the arms of the waiting defensive back. So that set up a short field and Seattle were able to take advantage of that and they got a nice touchdown to JSN uh, and obviously JSN and Jake Bobo uh, these rookies are making an impact while uh, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf are you know they're having okay seasons but not the kind of spectacular seasons that, that kind of diversity is really good seeing even saw a few big plays for for Noah Fant so I think you know Geno Smith, it's it's kind of the Geno coasters back, right? But it's a much better Geno coaster. Like it's now, you know, Alton Towers or something like that compared to you know the kind of clapped out thing it was with the Jets back in the day. And I think the biggest problem with Geno Smith is that he he trusts himself too much. He's just like oh man, I can definitely get in that window. And just too many times this year, that window did not exist. And guys, I think, are starting, like defensive backs are starting to creep up. They're like, oh, there's definitely an opportunity here if I can undercut the route. And Gino maybe just needs to, you know, not believe in himself quite as much. Like he's obviously a very confident man and fair play to him. But this year, I think he's like, there's been a few too many interceptions which have been due to him either just trusting that his guy will definitely be there or like I can get this into this really tiny 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 hole like window that doesn't exist um so you know i think running the ball might be make more sense and giving p carroll as the coach that might be a thing to do um for cleveland browns obviously their defense is continues to be a factor they were blown out early but basically they didn't allow anything to that last uh, touchdown so like the defense is definitely not the problem and it's, it continues to make them a factor in pretty much the game they play even though like the outside the two interceptions like the statistics aren't too um exciting but they can run the ball well they just need their if they can just have a quarterback who plays competently and doesn't turn the ball over you could imagine the Browns will win a lot of games this year and will potentially be in that wild card hunt potentially maybe even the divisional hunt in the NFC North but uh, just a game between two really solid teams with definite uh, playoff aspirations but yeah maybe just the PJ Walker factor um, was probably the difference where he doesn't bring the upside that Gino does um, when he has those mistakes at the same time yeah next up Philly at Washington 38 to 31 uh, Philly undo uh, three to fourteen hole early on as as Jillard, uh get three hundred twenty five yards and four touchdowns. Kind of focusing on AJ Brown gets one hundred and thirty and two touchdowns, and then Smith at ninety nine and a touchdown. Their defense was pretty dominant in this as well. Interception, two turnover on downs in the second half, and uh, we also saw we kind of were laughing when we saw that they had signed. Julio Jones kind of wondering what he was going to be able to do uh, at this age. And he went up, climbed the ladder and got a fantastic touchdown here. Uh, And then they kind of got a fake tush push for a touchdown. We were discussing at the time that they did that, why you would do that at that point and not save it for a more important spot. But I suppose, look, you know, they only lost by a touchdown, so it ended up being somewhat relevant in it. But also, I suppose this is to throw off people from over-dedicating. You know, they, they... 
they were beaten earlier in the game by Washington on the tush push. They were uh, they were able to stop them by essentially. Now, if I remember it right, I think they lined up in almost more like a rugby-style flat defensive front onto them to kind of not give them any space in. And then, you know, Philly then, like we said, ran the fake off the back of it to show us that it can't just be, you can't just defend it that way or whatever. Um, Howell had a great game in this one, nearly 400 yards, four touchdowns and an interception. And he was kept clean. He only had one sack. But the tail end, the pressure from Philly kind of got in the way and they were able to edge it uh, all the way. But... Yeah, it was uh, it was particularly in the first half a fantastic performance from Washington, really kind of taking it to them. And I thought, Jesus, Philly are falling apart a little bit. But then, you know, they've got so many difference makers on this offense, Sean. They're able to just go, okay, let's just go to Brown, let's just go to Smith. They weren't the one thing that concerns me about this Philly team is that their run game has kind of disappeared the last couple of weeks. Like. If you think to the start of the season, they were having monster, monster running games. And we haven't seen that at all. And it's not just that they've gone away from it game script-wise. They're not finding the holes that they were previously. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it, it's it, one feeds off the other. I think that they, they're not succeeding in the run game as much as they'd want to. I mean, in this game, for example, Gainwell fumbles in the red zone. I mean, I mean it just doesn't seem to be working that way. And so they... They just rely on the pass because the pass game works, right? They they know A.J. Brown, who's incredible vein of form at the moment. You know, his his streak of over a hundred yard games is is reaching. I can't remember. I think it's 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 I think quite it's strong at the moment. Six straight one hundred and twenty five yeah, plus yard games. So he's now so, he's now beaten Megatron's record, I think. Yeah, so he's definitely in the you know a rich vein of form, and obviously you want to feed towards that. But I I agree with you. There's not a tremendous amount of offensive balance. Um, but maybe not, not necessarily. The Eagles don't necessarily need that. Well, they they still obviously you still have hurts the threat. The threat that hurts will will run. You still have somewhat of a run game that you can assemble. Maybe they need to get Rashad Penny back. Maybe they need to get you know figure out ways of of working the Eagles. Uh, work, the Eagles need to figure out a way of working their their run game a bit more. But at the moment, the pass game is doing quite enough. I mean, they got 38 points from this, so you wouldn't complain too much. Um, the the defensive side for the Eagles a little bit a little bit sketchy here. The secondary in particular had a very poor game. You can obviously see why Bayard is so much needed, and he played safety here, but they, they, they'll probably try and maybe move him around the secondary a bit more. Hassan Reddick is still kicking ass, and the, the front, Line, the front part of the defense looks pretty solid, but the secondary looks like a weakness. So the the Eagles are they're you know seven and one. They probably look like the best team in the NFC, if not the best team in the NFL overall. But it's not a perfect team. You can see the deficiencies, and they've still got a couple of things to work in. It's also kind of weird that the Eagles. I mean, it kind of demonstrates the the kind of claustrophobic nature of divisional games. Is that the Washington Commanders have played really terribly most of the season, but their two best performances of the season have come against the Eagles. And it kind of shows what happens when you have a team and you know them and you maybe have figured out a little bit of something that other teams haven't. It can be quite an interesting game. And the Eagles, tough game. And it did look like early on that they were going to lose, but they, they pulled it out and looked comfortable enough maybe at the end. Um, in terms of the commanders, I mean, it's really hard to analyze them because it kind of feels like they've just completely given up on the season now, right? They, they're three and five, but they've gotten rid of their two-star defensive players and now the whole thing is that uh, I guess our offense as long as Sam Howell 
plays out of his skin, we can win games. And it's like, this is a very strange way to be going. It kind of felt like the commanders were starting to build something and now they're just completely blown it up uh, and I don't know where it's going. Uh, in terms of the offense, the passing attack obviously was quite good. They worked out a kind of quick throws through the middle of field was a good way to do it, but I do feel there's an awful lot being put on Howell's shoulders right now. He had, he had 400 yards this game, yes, but he had 52 pass plays, which is kind of insane in terms of what's going on. Um, the defense, though, it's it's not good. I mean, people talk about the vaunted Washington defense, but I honestly have not seen it. The, the front seven, which is supposed to be their strength, did nothing in this game. They've been underperforming all year. Hurts had way too much, much time to find his throws. And in the secondary... They they had some seriously weird matchup decisions. So like in more than one snap, the the rookie Forbes was put up against AJ Brown. Like consciously decision, we're going to put this rookie up against AJ Brown, and they did it more than once on the defensive side. And and I just I'm, I'm you know scratching my head as to what the hell they were actually planning to do. So even though the commanders seem to have a good sense of how the Eagles play and how they get at them. The game script that they went on on both sides of the field seemed to not want to maximize that or, or somewhat. They seemed to find a way to lose this game that they maybe could have won had they, had they you know, contrasted, say, the Broncos' performance against the Chiefs. Had they had that kind of game script with a discipline and everyone doing their job, I think the commanders could have actually won this game, but they kind of let it slip away from them. And those inconsistencies have got to hurt the, the Washington fan base. Obviously, these games against Eagles are where their ceiling is at, but the, the basement, if you want to call it that, is so much lower. This team is just so inconsistent and all over the place it's hard to know what to do and now they seem to have blown up their season so commanders new ownership but same problems it seems and for the eagles they look good but maybe not unbeatable and it's going to be interesting to see how they do next week against the cowboys for example which could be quite a, a tough game for them now next up we have atlanta at tennessee 23 to 28 uh will levis was in and turns out the old meme fuck it hopkins down there somewhere <laughs> Does work. He had 249 yards and four touchdowns, with Hopkins having three of those touchdowns and 128 yards. Uh, West Bukakina had 33 yards and a touchdown. And uh, yeah, like it just, it, the Tennessee offense looked a bit reinvigorated and things started working again with the deep threat being used. Henry's game opened up and he had 122 yards. He kind of ground out the tail end of the game to kind of kill the clock to stop a big pushback because. Uh, well, we didn't just see Well Levis on the other side. We saw Tyler Heineke come in on the Atlanta side, and he had 189 yards and a touchdown coming in strong um, after Ritter was benched. So he had, I believe they said the concern was a concussion uh, after the first half, and they did check him out in the tent, although I didn't see any particular hit that looked like it was the one that would have triggered that, but he just wasn't playing great. Um and yeah, the Tennessee defense kind of helped them hold it out as well. They forced a fumble. They had six sacks, six tackles for a loss. And they did a good job at the end to shut them out. But like both teams were in this at the tail end. Um, I believe the news at the moment coming out is that Heineke is now going to stay on as the starter. And Ritter Yeah, so Ritter's benched, benched now for the moment. And honestly, looking at this, you can see why like they both are not excellent quarterbacks but there's a little bit more excitement in the offense with Heineke now we'll see if you know does they have the ability to maybe keep that going for multiple weeks or not or whether it was just a kind of a surprise change of uh, change of pace kind of stuff here but yeah like for Tennessee Levis definitely a bit of fun I'd imagine this style of play will result in 
far more up and down moments than this because this was mostly up like I said four touchdowns no interceptions uh, if he's bombing this deep against better defenses I would imagine that some of these will turn into turnovers and stuff so it won't be quite this all the time but it definitely feels like they've got an idea of they've got something here in their hands I'm surprised realistically with his performance as well that we didn't see Tannehill on the move during the uh, trade window stuff but yeah look we'll see for Atlanta similarly like Heineke looks a little bit more exciting than Ritter Ritter's been conservative he's been a bit turnover and sack prone so maybe this is just a bit of a spark for them to turn it around a little bit um at, at, at the very least from a fantasy perspective it'll probably help people who have like overpaid for <laughs> skill position players on Atlanta but um yeah look this is probably a positive for both teams coming out of this that both will feel that they'll be a little bit more watchable and enjoyable going forward uh for Tennessee obviously an important win to keep themselves live at the moment and for Atlanta disappointing but at least like at least maybe it'll be a little bit more exciting with Heineke in there I'm still just this Arthur Smith stuff is starting to wear a little thin on me at the moment they kind of he seems to be deliberately going out of his way to not take anyone's advice and try and run counter to it um there's been a lot in the media about him of late as well about how like you know his he, he's literally a billionaire and doesn't need to be doing this so he probably feels he's operating without actually really needing to be beholden to anyone but um we'll see we'll see uh yeah ron what did you make of it well i think the big thing is that the game was like last week you kind of said this game's going to be like boring and bad and It'll kind of be a grind fest and but wibbly wobbly. Don't know who's going to win, but it turned out to be fun and dumb, and we still didn't know who's going to win. But that's actually good. And you know, I think the big thing is that both these teams. I don't know if they have an identity, but at least they have things that are interesting happen on offense. Of all the ways that Mike Vrabel would defeat his former OC Arthur Smith, having like a deep bomb offense was probably not near the top of the scenarios which you thought would happen. But so it came to be. Will Levis comes in and he's just hooking it out there he's just going DeAndre Hopkins he's better than you know whatever they're putting out there in defensive backs just throw it up give him a chance and hey it works three touchdowns the first time I think DeAndre Hopkins has had over 100 yards and three touchdowns in the games and Levis has the arm like there's no doubt about that you see him flick his wrist and the ball goes 50 yards down uh the, the, down the field and that's the kind of exciting talent that makes you step up and go oh my god, the Titans offense might actually be somewhat interesting, which I haven't said about the Titans offense in, I don't know, a decade at this point, it feels like. Um, So that's really exciting. And I think the big thing is obviously for a season which will be tough to turn around in terms of making the playoffs, to get the fan base injected and invested in the team again behind Levis, that's a huge step up in terms of Vrabel and kind of, you know, letting him build whatever the team's going to be going forward. And of course, you know, the biggest problem with the Titans this year is that teams have been just stacking up that box to stop Henry. He's been facing eight-man boxes at a ridiculous rate and that's actually meant that Ty J Spears who obviously faces uh, much lighter boxes on third down typically though third down and long usually has been more productive in terms of yards often times than Henry but now you have a situation well if they're able to win one-on-one coverage because Will Levis can throw it into those tight windows he can throw it deep um, you can't just stack the box anymore and then you'll imagine that will open things up for King Henry and then the whole thing might actually make sense again which given where they were for most of the season I will very much take thank you very much <laughs> uh, like the Titans were one of the the black holes of interest in the NFL and now I'm like okay 
Give me some more. Let's see where this goes. And yes, I think you're right. Future weeks, this will probably be more up and down. More interceptions will probably be thrown. But even that is at least better than the Tannehill experience where you get the interceptions recently without any upside. As well, for just, Atlanta, just, just as a yeah. point as well, like Levis in this game threw as many touchdowns as Tannehill has this season, if I yeah, remember correctly. Exactly. Like, and and he and, and Tannehill's thrown a few interceptions, so it's it's not been good. And like, yeah, it, it, we'll see where if this is sustainable. Probably not, but at least it's fun, and at least we get a week where it's fun. As for Atlanta, it's basically the same thing, but obviously with less upside. Because Taylor Haneke is kind of, he kind of feels like he's going to be the next Ryan Fitzpatrick, like not a starter living quarterback, but just someone you throw in there as when you're like you want the thirty second best quarterback, but in a fun way. He he loves to sling the ball around. He has no fear. Obviously he you know, he was like he's thirty something years old, so he, he he came through a weird situation. He's obviously I'm gonna take advantage of this opportunity as long as they allow me to keep doing it. And he actually got those guys involved. He got Kyle Pitts involved. He gets Drake London involved and suddenly the offense, you know, is it smart and consistent? No. Is it the, the offense that Arthur Smith would have? but I imagine just like not to the same extent as Levis but having Heineke in there willing to sling the ball get those offensive weapons involved will mean that teams can't just dig in and stop Bijan Robinson with eight-man boxes and tight-man coverage and then that's the kind of things where you imagine with London and Dig uh, and Pitts their talent that they'll be able to win consistently enough from man to man that you know you'll start to see people fear the, the passing game enough to respect it and then everything else might just open up I don't think it'll be consistent the Taylor Heineke offenses have never been consistent but they've always been at least fun and interesting uh, at least certainly for decent stretches of time and given what we've seen with Ritter that's just a huge step up and I think for two defences which have been kind of the strength well relative strengths of these teams they both of them had not great days here um like overall they gave up a decent amount of points and so you know i think that's a testament that i think maybe what we saw from these two new quarterbacks isn't just a flash in the pan we will see more exciting football it won't be perfect but it's interesting it's fun and exciting and for two teams which have been the opposite of that that's all i really want to be honest yeah, definitely a step in the right direction here anyway. And finally, let's have a look at New York City, the Jets and the Giants in, well, I guess it's Jet Life Stadium now, 13-10 to 10 in overtime. This was awful, <laughs> like truly awful, but it was awful on a scale that has to be discussed. Um, there's absolutely chaos here as Giants miss a 35-yard field goal. The Jets come back with two plays, 29 yards in 24 seconds and get a spike off with one second on the clock to set up a 35-yard uh, Jets go, field goal to go into overtime. Um, yeah, and then their defense holds. They get two more plays, including a giant pass interference, which to be fair was the correct call. Like the <laughs> the quarterback was all over him, and that set up the New York Jets field goal winner. Um, yeah, like Brees Hall had an okay day, I suppose, uh, ninety three yards total. But like they weren't getting anything going on the ground. He had twelve carries for seventeen yards, like. And that had a long of five in it, which says just how bad everything was going. Garrett Wilson had 100 yards receiving, which is pretty decent. And then Brees Hall was getting going through the air as well, 76 yards receiving with a touchdown, uh, with one of them being a particularly lovely 50-yarder. Um, but yeah, it was it was what we call a sloppy one from them. Uh, on the other side, yeah, like the Giants didn't 
have a pass game. Uh, like we mentioned in the, in the in the news section, Taylor had a rib injury, so Danny DeVito is what I'm just going to call Mike DeVito. From this one. <laughs> Danny DeVito came in, and Danny, and Danny DeVito, trash man, didn't really know how to play quarterback. So uh, collectively, they had negative nine yards on the day. They went six of 14 for negative nine yards, which was uh, incredible. Four sacks for 16 <laughs> yards lost. So they just kept handing the ball off. Saquon Barkley had uh, 128 yards on 36 carries. They ran the ball 52 times. <laughs> like, 52 times in this day and age. And it was uh, it was awful. I believe that like there was like no first downs until late in the second quarter. Um, there was 24 punts in this game. It was... Mm, nice. Yeah, I know you like that, you <laughs> sick fuck. Um <laughs> But yeah, a it clinic, was a punting clinic, an absolute clinic. But well, it was there, there, there was like controversy in social media because Thomas Moore said that the Jets punter was given a, a mediocre grade by PFF, and the, a social media was outraged by this insult to the punt god. Yeah, yeah, like it was it was sloppy, but you know, for the Jets, this is what you have to do. This is keeping them very much live and kicking around. They are now four and three. They have a winning record, <laughs> miraculously. Their defense did their job very well. Uh, their offense had little spurts, and Zach Wilson came up good in the clutch at the tail end of the fourth quarter and the uh, and and the overtime. But yeah, like this is messy. But you know, you get the win over your you know shared stadium rivals. Uh, it they only play I think once every four years or so. So like it's 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 a good one for them to get. And yeah, there. Rogers was out there uh, throwing passes in in warmups and stuff. Like it genuinely seems like this Jets team has a good enough defense and enough spurts on offense that like they might be able to keep themselves live. And if to, to literally to I suppose I was going to say to get Aaron Rodgers back in the field. I think to test the pseudoscience of Aaron <laughs> Rodgers' approach to getting back on the field. But yeah, this is this is a Jets team that's defense is good enough to keep them in games, and yeah, you, you, you got to get a little bit more performance out of the offense. But you know, you'll take the win here uh, in utter utter chaos. Yeah, I'm just waiting for the Week 12 inevitability when Aaron Rodgers steps onto the field and Western medicine as an entire concept just disintegrates before his his awesomeness. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, I was. Prepared for how bad the Giants were going to be in this game, especially once they went down to guy who was not a quarterback. I was not prepared for how bad the Jets were. I I kind of somehow talked myself into the idea that the Jets offensively are not that bad anymore, that they've kind of figured a few things out, and then the defense will do the rest of the job. But this was just really bad. And even though the Jets won, it's actually incredible to believe they could have lost this game. They actually should have lost this game had the refs maybe applied the rules of unspiking your own ball uh, a bit more uh, consistently. Uh, it's And if the, the Giants had made an absolutely terrible decision to it kick a field goal hometown on, a fourth, refs. <laughs> on a fourth and one... Um, uh, and then miss the 35-yard field. I mean, it was it's just it's just horrible all around. But the the fact that, given how limited the Giants were offensively, i.e. they didn't have a pass game and they they knew, this vaunted Jets offense knew these guys were going to run the ball every single time. How they didn't win more comfortably, how Brees Hall couldn't get going against what is actually quite a bad run defense. It's just, I'm just, I'm, I actually, I just could not understand how the Jets couldn't get going in this game whatsoever. Um <laughs> 
Zach Wilson regressing again. He just can't seem to string any good performances together. Okay, he got good in the end, and you can call him clutch or whatever, but he had less than 50% passing uh, and two fumbles, uh, and they were just really bad. I mean, they, they pulled it out in the end, but I this is not a blueprint for winning games on the Jets. This is a blueprint for how far... This is a demonstration of how far this Jets team still has to go if they want to be consistently winning games because I, I have to believe that a solid... 28 or 29 teams in the NFL would have beaten the, Gi- the Giants by about 30 points in this game. But the Jets won uh, in overtime with a field goal. In terms of the Giants, uh, the defense was good. Wink Martindale seems to be shaping the defense into something resembling uh, a fearsome unit. The Kalon Thibodeau looks like he's improving every week and could actually be a Although star. Although he did, he, did, he did cost them in the end. He was the offsides that gave them a first set uh, of down. He can't be perfect. You know, he's, he's doing I think he's best. disputing that uh, as well. But offensively, I mean, Saquon Barkley is much too good for this team now. <laughs> Get him out, please. Uh, and yeah, absolutely horrible decision at fourth and one that cost them the game. And please play an actual... When I, I just Why not just sign some, like... Okay, you you've got Danny Dimes is down injured. Tyrod is perhaps you know not the least injury prone person in the world. You've got this rookie, undrafted rookie quarterback as your third string. Either a give him some snaps in the practice sessions during the week so he actually knows what the plays are, or sign some veteran who can pass the ball. Don't put some guy who literally is not able to play quarterback in the NFL and put him out there and expect to, to survive this game. I just, yeah, this is just really horrible from both sides. It, it, it was like watching a, a train crash happen for the, and it keep going for like three hours. And eventually the moral victors won the game because the Jets are morally the better team and the team we actually want to see succeed. But my God, this was this was just bad on both sides and no one should, we should, it should like be like that episode of The Simpsons where they had Seymour Skinner back. And then they at the end of the episode said, let us never speak of it again. Let us never speak of this game again. This was this was Cardinal Seahawks 6-6 territory in terms of the worst game I've ever seen, uh, at least offensively. Um, but uh, yeah, Jets win, that guess is the main thing. Yeah, uh, that one, just because it was so ridiculous, uh, we thought we had to slip it out of the dump off and <laughs> not crawled just, out not just let Ronan have all the fun on it. Uh, I was going through the through the drive-by-drive drive summary and it was just such grim reading on this one. Like, <laughs> just everything is just... Yeah, so like, I'll, I'll just... Because to do it all would just be horrendous. So like, first drive, four plays, one yard fumble. Four plays, six yards field goal. Three, three plays, five yards punt. Three plays, three yards punt. Three plays, nine yards punt. Three plays, four yards punt. Five plays, ten yards punt. Three plays, seven yards punt. Like, it's just horrendous. And that's the punting forecast for week eight. It is. And, and as you said, look, some games are... Uh, we, we cover all the games, but some games are less good and they are Fitz's favourites. So that's why we're uh, giving it to him on the dump-off. Yeah, Sean stealing the, the Jets-Giants game that we all know would naturally belong here in the dump-off. But uh, we got some pretty good trash here this week, uh, suitable for the, the DeVitos of the world. But uh, we'll start with Houston at Carolina, 13-15 win for Carolina. They get their first win, hooray, um, in a pretty tepid battle between the number one and number two overall pick in the draft this year. The defense did most of the work as young. Showed enough poise under pressure, he got sacked six times, but was overall solid, nice touchdown to Tremble, and he was pretty good in that final field goal drive, which got them the win, uh, with some interesting trolling from Houston at the end, where they just kept uh, running offsides, uh, and until it was like a 20-something yard uh, kick. Uh, Stroud, he avoided any mistakes, he only had 140 yards, 
He's been very muted in recent weeks. You'd hope he'd get back to form like he was earlier this season. But, you know, he's a solid player, but there's not really much to build around. But uh, hopefully better days for Houston ahead. Next up, Tampa Bay Buffalo. 18-24 game. Win for Buffalo on Thursday Night Football. Steady the ship. Albeit it could be very different. Uh, Hail Mary from Baker dropped into the middle of the end zone. Uh, with uh, Chris Godwin quite close to it, but not seeing the ball. Um, I'm told that that's part of the way Hail Mary's work, but still, it did look uh, not great uh, on the screen at the time. Baker, 2-5-6 and two touchdowns, so he was okay, but he was quite hesitant, particularly double-clutching a lot in this game, not really knowing what he was seeing, and he nearly threw a couple of picks. He kind of was lucky to get away with those. Allen, on the other hand, he kind of put the offense on his back here. He was spreading the ball around. Uh, to among all of the different receivers, uh, beyond Diggs, like Davis and Shakir, etc. Uh, 365, three touchdowns, he did throw a pick as well. And they kind of built on their early success, 24-10, uh, early in the second half, uh, to grab the win. But it probably should have been a bit more comfortable, to be honest. But uh, they get the win, the city of the ship, they move on. Next up, Jacksonville at Pittsburgh, 20-10. Pittsburgh's defense tried to make this a game, but uh, thankfully... Uh, for all of our health, uh, Pickett and then Trubisky after Pickett went down with an injury. Albeit Pickett, I think, is believed to be playing this week uh, regardless. Um, neither of them were great. Trubisky in, in particular kind of reverted to his, hey, let's just throw the ball up into triple coverage and see what happens. And unfortunately, what happened was interceptions. Uh, Jacksonville, they couldn't get out of their own ways. They turned the ball over three times. But, uh, you know, Etienne had a good game, 150 yards, uh, touchdown nearly. Um, uh, Lawrence was okay. He was battling this tough Pittsburgh defense. And they didn't know, basically. I think Jacksonville were obviously the better team. And thankfully, uh, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's defense didn't bullshit themselves to another win here. Uh, Jacksonville in a good place right now. New Orleans and Indianapolis, 38 to 27. A kind of up and down, stupid kid game between two kind of weird teams right now. New Orleans actually found an offense. It's a weird offense because it's like, hey, Taysom Hill, throw it to deep to Shahid uh, Shahid, and hey, three Rashid throws, three throws for uh, catches for 153 yards and a touchdown. Okay. Maybe try throwing to him more. I don't think it'll work, but it'll be interesting. Even Carr had a good day. He had a turnover, but he had over 300 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Kamara continues to be the focal point of the offense. So, actual offense of New Orleans, combined with that defense, relevant. Maybe the favorite for the NFC side right now. Not that that's saying much. As for uh, Indianapolis, another interception from Minshew, but he was better here. He had two touchdowns, and he, he made a few mistakes, and probably not as interesting, but... You know, broadly okay, which is what you expect at best. Uh, the run game was really good. Taylor had 95 yards, Moss had 76 yards in touchdown. But as New Orleans pulled away in the second half, that kind of neutralized that aspect. And that's why you got a, a pretty big win from New Orleans by the end. Next up, New England at Miami, 17-31. Looked like it might be interesting early on, but quickly it reverted to the, you know, what we would expect. With Miami kind of dominating New England defense. Waddle went over 100 yards in the touchdown. Hill went over 100 yards in the touchdown. And that early resistance uh, faded away pretty quickly uh, when they were getting a couple of turnovers. Mack really regressed a lot, albeit with a lot of weapons out uh, during this game. He had two touchdowns, but very few yards. And the run game was held in the check. And... Yeah, with Bourne gone, there's just very little going. And that Ramsey pick, just unforgivable. That was really the turning point where you just knew this game was over. Um, threw across his body. He doesn't have the arm for it. It was a noodle arm throw. Uh, don't do that. Next up, Baltimore at Arizona, 31-34. Baltimore just kind of hold Arizona at arm's length for most of this game. Uh, surprisingly, Michael Pierce, the nose tackle, was actually the star of the show. He just seemed to be showing up whenever they needed. Uh, Geno Stone also got another interception for himself. And they got two interceptions. They got two... Uh, fourth down, uh, fourth down stops uh, in the first half to kind of stop Arizona building up momentum and a few uh, tackles uh, for loss and sacks. Uh, they were up 21 to seven, uh, so it was pretty easy. And he just kind of got through from there despite the one score ending. Lamar 
not great to be honest. Uh, Arizona did a good job under Gannon to keep him in check. The offense just isn't quite clicking fully, but he's he's got so much upside and you imagine in closer games where he's required to do more, he will do more. But Edwards had three touchdowns here as the uh, kind of running focal point, so it was pretty solid. Dobbs, two interceptions, two touchdowns, kind of a, an interesting end to his time in Arizona. Um, he's very, very up and down, but given the paucity of talent, I think at least he's utilizing the talent, getting into the wide receivers and doing an okay job. But he'll need to cut out the mistakes if he's going to make something of his Minnesota tenure. Uh, Minnesota, Green Bay, 24-10. Uh, Minnesota dominated this game. Um, Green Bay never really were a factor. Cousins, before his injury, was slicing and dicing them. 283 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, he particularly was able to find Osborne, Hawkinson and Addison uh, for a decent amount of yards and some touchdowns for uh, Hawkinson and Addison. And, you know, despite the lack of run game, it was just working. So it's a bit of a concern if you bring in someone who's not Cousins, can they do that without the run game support? Um, as for Green Bay, Love regresses again. He's just very poor. The Lambo uh, fans are turning on him. Uh, he has very little help in the run game, to be fair, and his defense is continuing to be a major disappointment despite all the talent they have. Uh, but yeah, things aren't looking great for Love. It feels like that's a one-year um, experiment that isn't going to work out. Uh, Rams at Dallas, 20-43. This game was over before it started. Uh, Dallas just came out and blitzed them. Um, they were 33-3 up in the first half here. Uh, that's thanks to Dak finding CD Lamb consistently. Ended up being around 158 yards, two touchdowns by Lamb at the end, a lot of early. And their defense got a pick six. They got a safety out of, the, uh, out of their special teams and a block punt. And then that was followed by a big free kick return to set up another touchdown. So it was just dominance early on and uh, the Rams comeback seemed to be maybe coming together uh, but then Stafford picked up an injury, he was pulled early in the second half and it was pretty much over from there uh, Ripien did nothing um, uh, the, the, the play that got the injury was dumb as we already talked about in the two point conversion Philly special but uh, yeah hopefully Stafford isn't out too, for too long because without him the Rams are very uninteresting uh, and then two very disappointing uh, primetime games, uh, Sunday Night Football Chicago at the Chargers, 13-30 win for Chicago, for, sorry not for Chicago, for the Chargers, my brain simply can't believe the Chargers just had an easy win. Um, this is a rare, so rarely happens. Um, they raced out to a 70 point lead early where Herbert and Eckler were just easily uh, beating up on this poor Chicago defense um, and they ended up with pretty good stats overall. Uh, Herbert nearly 300 yards, Eckler over 100 yards and uh, mostly as a pass catcher to be fair. Um, Bajant, a few okay sparks early on but as the game got away from him and he was forced to kind of be the focal point of the offense you could see the major limitations in this game he's more of a game manager two interceptions in the end but uh yeah obviously just a horrible situation for the rookie and, and zero support from the defense or run game so can't really blame him too much and finally vegas at detroit 14 to 26 do not be fooled um this was a way more dominant game for detroit than the score indicates and we're talking about 12 point win here by the way um they just dominated on all aspects of the game their defense i uh, got a pick six and two fumbles um, Gibbs went for nearly 200 yards, Alan Ra went for over 100 yards, they just were able to do whatever they wanted, if they just be better in the red zone, they were 1-5 there, they would have uh, had a much better time, sorry, the, the turnovers were by Detroit, that's why it was close. Um, as for uh, the Raiders, Jimmy G, poor, uh, now benched, uh, very much deserved, had a few uh, deep shots that were missed to Adams, who was very annoyed on the sideline, although he wasn't perfect himself by any stretch in this game, but yeah, Vegas very limited very poor and i'm not surprised that they've gone in this direction maybe not the timing that i would have expected but not surprising given what they put in the field when they were already dominated by the detroit team so that's the dump off for week eight a fairly full one uh some lesser ones if we have buys going forward but uh talk to you then okay let's kick off with thursday night football tennessee at pittsburgh uh myself and ronan have gone for tennessee sean's gone for pittsburgh in this one obviously 
Tennessee a bit more exciting with Levis there, but this is against a significantly better defense. So as I mentioned in the review of the games there, I'd be concerned about whether or not Levis might have a few more turnovers in this. Uh, that said, this defense will be playing without Minka Fitzpatrick, their star safety. Uh, Pickett has been able to avoid turnovers of late, but it's still a fairly limited offense. Uh, like I think they put up 10 points on Jacksonville last week. So... We'll see what this Tennessee defense can do. They're probably not as good uh, in the secondary anyway, but they do have a decent enough defensive line. Um, Pittsburgh probably needs to, as we've talked for a couple of weeks now, look at how they're splitting carries in their backfield if they want to try and make the most of their run game. But uh, I'm just going to bank on hopefully this kind of Levis-led Tennessee team will be a bit more exciting and get some things going a little bit more because they do have a good run game with Henry and stuff as well. So if, if he gives them the ability to ha- show a little bit more balance and maybe unstuff some of those boxes, then it should be a bit of an exciting game. These are two teams that are pushing for the for the wild card, I would say, kind of area. And a win here would help either one of them on their way. Yeah, like I think it's one of those games that, could actually be interesting, which I wouldn't have said last week. I think Tennessee, obviously, with Levis now have an X factor, which you think could bring King Henry more into the game plan. The, the secondary of the Pittsburgh Steelers is quite vulnerable, obviously, especially with Minka Fitzpatrick not in there. They're playing Joey Porter, a rookie, in there. So, you know, if DeAndre Hopkins is playing and Westbrook Akina makes things and maybe Chico Quanco gets in part of it, maybe you start to see Tennessee have that deep ball aspect and that will open up Henry. And then the whole thing, as I said, might make a lot more sense. And while Pittsburgh's offense has been just a huge disappointment this year, Tennessee's defensive backs are very vulnerable while their defensive line is very strong, especially against the run. So, if they're going to trust Pickett and if they're just going to try and make this Pickett thing work, maybe this is the, the game to trust him to get the ball to uh, Pickens and Deontay Johnson and just start spreading the ball around. Like, it probably won't be perfect, but I think if they, like, you know, if they want to rely on the let's hope the defense just wins the game for, for, for us type of thing, sure. But I think the, the better way or the more likely way, even though it's not as hugely likely, I think, is to, like, get Pickett in there, prepare him for this game and let him sling it out there and see what they can do. Yeah, the the big battle for me is between the the Tennessee offense and the Steelers defense. Obviously, there's a bit of a still of an X factor in terms of can this Titans offense under Levis produce what it produced against the Falcons, and how will they do against a a more sophisticated defense? I just I just have a feeling that the there may there are limitations to what the Titans can do under Levis, uh, and the Steelers are pretty good defensively in terms of schemes and stuff like, and I think they'll come with a game plan and they'll they'll try and restrict that the long the long throw, and then we'll have to see what they can get, what the Titans can do. Otherwise, I just feel it's going to turn into a defensive battle um, because I don't know if I necessarily trust either of these offenses uh, to consistently put up a lot of points. So, and if it comes down to a defensive battle, I think I trust the Steelers' defense over the Titans' defense just a little bit. So that's why I'm going for them. That seems fair. Uh, next up, our. F- Frankfurt game, the first game that's happened over there. Miami taking on Kansas City. Uh, myself and Ronan have gone for Miami and Sean's gone for Kansas in this one. This is my pick of the week. Uh, this should be a very exciting game. Hopefully Matt Mahomes is over his flu and they kind of get things going a little bit more. My main concern coming into this is the injuries to linebackers at the moment and what that might mean for the game plan of Miami. They tend to like to get their fast receivers out in space over the middle. And if we're down two starting linebackers, I'd be afraid of that happening. We do have good tackling in the secondary, so hopefully they'll be able to help drop some extra guys in. But then your concern is being burnt over the top. So 
it's just it's a bad it's a bad matchup to be going in for with those linebackers out of the way. Uh, and then to add to that, the Miami defense, which you know we've we've mentioned a couple of times, weak secondary, kind of something you can pick on and that kind of stuff. Like Jalen Ramsey is back in, and while he's not at full strength, he is very very like he makes a big difference to that defense. He had a decent play in it there uh, last week, so this is going to be a it's going to be a tough ask. Now, that said, it is over in Germany. I think if Mahomes is back as his head on square, they have a game that would travel quite well because I think they're relying more on established pieces and stuff. And I think you could see the run game getting going a little bit here. Um, whereas Miami, because it's so speed-based and timing-based, that like the travel could impact that, I think, a little bit more. Uh, I'd hope to see... Frank Clark and Carl Loftus have a big game here and start disrupting because where we've seen Miami fall down beforehand is when you get up in to his face, disrupt his passing lane so he can't do his very quick, just get rid of the ball thing. Um, and to be honest, like the defensive line is built quite well for that type of thing. My concern then would be that you know Miami could go back to the ground game and as Sean pointed out in the review section, the Chiefs defense against the run has not been stellar this year they've had individual games that have been good but i think those were more instances where they could sell out to cover it and just rely on corners one-on-one which is not something you can do against miami so i would expect if both teams are feeling healthy and not overly impacted by the travel to see a very exciting high scoring game here with i think miami just about edging it unless the chiefs defense come up with a good scheme to deal with them yeah, it feels to me that the Chiefs defense is, is the key unit in this, how they, obviously we've talked about the Dolphins, that their plan A is is really good, but if you can stop it, they don't necessarily have a plan B or a plan C. So it's going to come down to, I think, the Chiefs and the defensive scheming, what what what, what can they do to, to stifle the Dolphins? And obviously the injuries you talked about, Connor, might limit what they are capable of doing on that side, but I kind of feel as if, I kind of trust the way this Chiefs defense has, has developed this year, especially on the passing side, that they will come up with some sort of plan to limit what Hill and Waddle can do. And I think, and then it's just a matter, if they can do that, then it's a matter of just trusting Mahomes to get it done on the other side. And we have to imagine Mahomes could be better than he was uh, last week. So I, I think there's just, it, it does come down to me, this Dolphins, off. I just don't try, I still don't trust them 100%. I think they have been shown up against good defenses and and better and good teams and i think they they have a ceiling and i think the chiefs are over above that ceiling in terms of what they can get to yeah like i don't have much too much to add but i do think that that thing that connor pointed out where the middle of the field is now quite weak for the uh the chiefs especially like drew tranquil is very good against the run but he's definitely not a coverage linebacker by any stretch like you'd just be concerned that those holes will exist very quickly and we know that tua and and hill and, and Waddle can find them and exploit them very, very effectively and very, very quickly. So unless Patrick Mahomes comes out and just starts, you know, putting the score up, which he's certainly capable of doing, um, it's gonna be an issue. And I think I think the biggest like concern, I suppose, like for why I'm edging Miami, is I think the defense is I wouldn't say it's turned a corner, but I think it's slowly turning from, you know, a fairly significant weakness like it was early in the season into something of a, a strength. And I don't think they'll have to do too much because I expect this to be a high scoring game. So if Miami's offense shows up, then I, I just slightly favor them here. Next up yeah. is the Rams at Green Bay. Uh, Sean, do you want to give us the uh, insight on this? Yeah, we've gone for Rams across the board. I mean, probably because we just don't trust that this <laughs> Packers offense can do anything at all that they seem that the, the Jordan Love train has 
completely derailed uh, and it doesn't look like it's going anywhere. That said, I mean, the big X factor here is Matt Stafford. If Stafford plays and is, plays anywhere near his best, I think the Rams have enough offensively to win this game comfortably enough. If he doesn't play, I, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's Ripian, isn't it? Ripian is the backup. Uh, yeah, it's, not it's, he's I think, not. I, yeah, I think they tried great. to sign Wolford, so the, I don't think oh, they have God, much confidence. He's back. Ripian. Wolford's back. <laughs> they, they didn't get him because I think... The Tampa Bay Buccaneers actually promoted him to their actual squad to stop the Rams getting him. So Jesus, I don't know. Uh, so yeah, I don't think this is going to be the best game you've ever seen no. in your life. But I think the Rams' offense, if if there is something near one hundred percent in terms of personnel, I think they have enough to get over the the line. Because the Packers, I just don't, I just don't trust them to score too many points under Love. Uh, so yeah, I just can't, I can't back them. Yeah, the, the, the Green Bay Packers are pretty unwatchable right now. Uh, next yeah, up, Chicago at the Saints. Me and Connor have gone for New Orleans. You've gone for Chicago, Sean. I think, I think what we saw last week is that maybe New Orleans have a, an offense. I don't know if functional is the right word because it's such a weird, wibbly-wobbly offense where it's like, yeah, Derek Carr's having some decent games, but the X factor is like, hey, more Taysom Hill. Yeah, let's just do more of that. It's like, And all of his plays are usually positive. Like everyone says like you don't know what he's going to do but you do kind of know what he's going to do but no one seems to know how to stop it or it's just like i don't know it's like the only team who does it so this was a natural advantage there and i think fields is already officially ruled out for this game so you're going to have tyson bajant in there again who obviously got a win against the raiders but i think the new orleans defense is a is a big step up here so i'm fairly comfortable going for new orleans but uh, i don't know like do you have any views on why chicago I, it's it's it is a it is a vibes pick i do occasionally have the odd vibes pick i just feel that the i just the Saints, okay, offensively, they seem to maybe have figured something a little bit out, but I don't know if, if Taysom Hill as the center of your offense is, is any kind of long-term solution. They just bore me a lot. I think there is something exciting about the Bears, albeit they're, they were flawed kind of exciting, and the defense I would have some question marks over. But, uh, yeah, I just, I just I don't know why I think the Bears are going to win, but I just have a feeling that they will. Like, Sean, it's, it's not really like he's the the star of the system it's more like a binary star system where like Taysom Hill and Carr kind of go around each other and those do exist in the universe so it can <laughs> occasionally work um and uh next up Minnesota Atlanta we've all gone for Atlanta presumably because Minnesota are absolutely screwed without well, uh, yeah, Kirk like Cousins they're, we, they're either the backup or they're the guy who was signed four days before the the game kicks off yeah like Jaron Hall fifth round rookie I've kind of seen enough Minnesota rookies being brought into these situations to know that they're usually not great. Um, obviously, there is talent on the offense, so though you don't have Justin Jefferson, so you know he has an opportunity. I think it's like a once-off for Jaron Hall. Basically, hey, if you do okay here, we'll give you some more games. See what we got. Obviously, because you're de- you're developing a rookie there. But if you stink the bed, which I think they probably expect, given that they just signed Josh Dobbs, and I wouldn't be surprised if Hall was pulled in this game for Dobbs if it's going particularly bad. Um, it just doesn't give much confidence there. Whereas Atlanta, I think with Taylor Heineke, they have some... I think he's going to pass the ball effectively or effectively enough that the weapons that they have, albeit it's like two passing weapons, can actually get involved. And while I think Minnesota's defense has been a little bit better recently as they've picked up these wins, it's still very vulnerable because they don't have that much talent. So I think Atlanta, just on the QB thing alone, probably gets it. But uh, I think it's interesting just to kind of see because these are two teams we... Obviously, big changes have just happened in the last week. We don't really know where they're going to be going forward, and both of them 
uh, still probably harbour some playoff hopes. Yeah, like you'd hope that the Atlanta having a bit more of a viable pass game as well might open stuff a bit more for Robinson because he's been mm. effective in the short passing game for them. But like, was it last week was his first rushing touchdown <laughs> of the season, which is a lot for a focal point of your offense kind of player. Um, but yeah, so I'd hope that Atlanta at home would be able to get it done and their defense would be able to hold up against, like we said, the hodgepodge of quarterback. Yeah, it's the, the question mark over the Vikings quarterback is, is a big problem. And if it was Ritter at quarterback for Atlanta and the way Arthur Smith does not seem to be able to work a system under him, I would have questions. But under Heineke, you just kind of expect that Heineke, he'll probably throw a couple of picks, but he will also do some exciting things. And I think that'll probably be enough to get over what will not be a great Minnesota offense because either they've got an untested quarterback in there or a guy who's who joined four days ago yeah Tampa he's Bay. used to it to be fair <laughs> yeah that's true Tampa Bay at Houston's up next myself and Sean have gone for Houston and Ron has gone for Tampa Bay uh the question is look will Baker be able to get this Houston defense kind of broken down consistently because he's had high moments but he's you know he's been making mistakes as well he's not been kind of the, not even just game to game but in games he'll have entire quarters where he goes to sleep uh for the Houston side this is Question of Stroud, who's had a very good rookie season so far, but has maybe been a little bit quieter the last two weeks, getting back on track. Um, like Tampa Bay's defense has looked all right this year, in particular, it's gotten quite good at getting after the passer. So we'll see if that's going to continue on into this game. But Houston, just calm yourselves. You're at home. You've got your weapons on the outside. You've got a good young quarterback. Don't try and do anything silly. Just play it straightforward and kind of hope that essentially Baker will make a mistake into you would be my guess. Uh, Sean, Washington at New England. Myself and you have gone New England, question mark, and Ronan's gone Washington. I am not sure if I'm going to stay on New England on this one. I'll let you guys, or let you tell me why I should stay New England. Uh, It's hard. It's hard to sell a Pats win right now, I know, but I think it's even harder to sell a Washington win i mean it's the the defense that wasn't all that functional before that has now been stripped of its two best players and an offense that seems to be entirely funneled into the the magic arm of sam howell i mean i eric Bieniemy may have a lot of time from as a, as a offensive coordinator but he does not it's it's an odd thing to be throwing your hat upon is is the skill to sam howell so there's just washington i just feel especially now with the the trades they just had on the on both sides of the ball they're not a great team and it certainly feels like they're not actively trying to win games anymore where at least the Pats for all of their flaws are at least trying to win games and at least with the Belichick defense there will be some plan and Belichick defenses are so good even with the injuries that they have they're so good at, at taking on bad quarterbacks and Howell I think is still in that area where you wouldn't consider him to be a good quarterback so I, I just I trust that the the Pats defense will do enough to stifle the commanders and then it's just about can maybe Mac Jones put together maybe two touchdown drives? That's all we need him to do. And if he can do that, then that should be enough. Yeah, I suppose we're probably hoping for a big Ramondre Stevenson game then, given what you're yeah. down to probably two wide receivers on the roster and your tight ends. It'll be Hunter, it'll be Hunter <coughs> Henry, I think, will be getting... A, I think they'll probably build a lot of tight end-heavy passing games now with, uh, with, with uh, Bourne out. Yeah, but, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, Seattle at Baltimore, we've gone for Baltimore across the board. Um, like we said, Gino's been playing all right this season, but a few more mistakes have been sneaking in there, and particularly he was holding the ball a little bit too long, and this Baltimore defense seems to be rounding into form, and that doesn't feel like something you can do against them. Um, on the other side, Lamar has been looking back to proper Lamar style of late, and this is a Seattle team that's hopefully going to have the two 
defensive line signings in and in the rotation so they can kind of keep the pressure on there. But it's a it's a big ask now. Um, that said, these are two flawed teams. So it's as much as we've gone kind of Baltimore across the board, this is a closer game than that would suggest. Yeah, it's like two teams that when they're playing at the best, they genuinely look like they could be, you know, contenders, right? And usually that's when they're playing the Lions, but, uh, you know, that, 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 you know they're, they're, like, they're kind of coming together as the fellow Lions beaters. Um, and I think like Seattle, like obviously I'm not picking them here primarily because just that matchup between Gino, just throwing a lot of picks, just having, I think he's just, maybe his anticipation is too good. He's just like, uh, this is where he's supposed to be. And then it's like, he's not there and he's just thrown it immediately. And then it's just gone for picks. And obviously this Baltimore defensive backfield has been very, very good so far getting picks like Geno Stone, their safety, uh, replacement safety actually has been, I think he's leading the league in interceptions. Yeah, I think it's five or six interceptions at this point. So yeah. yeah. He's, he's so, leading. you know, Geno on Geno crime is definitely a possibility here. So that's why I'm favoring Baltimore. And I think Baltimore's highs have been a little bit higher than Seattle's as well. But look, Seattle, if they put it all together uh, for four quarters, and especially if they sort out their issues in the red zone, then they could definitely come out here, put up a bunch of points, run the ball really well, and their defense is definitely a growing factor in them being a concern for other teams in the NFC because it's a very young defense in the defensive backfield. They've obviously made some additions to their defensive line there, and they I think something is brewing here, but Baltimore, I think they're a little bit further along, um, and I'm going to give them a favor here. But uh, you know, Baltimore's offense has been a little bit iffy at times this year as well. Obviously, they had that big game against Detroit, but then they kind of came back there today. So yeah, it's kind of hard to read both these teams. I think we know both these teams are good, but it's just like, a can they be good consistently? And then what is their ceiling? And I think Baltimore probably win both aspects just about uh, for, for I, the uh, favor for them either. I, I was I was tempted to pick the Seahawks here actually, but once Ronan picked against his own team, I'm like, well, I can't pick the Seahawks now. <laughs> I mean, the Ravens have to win. I think. The Ravens are... Oh, excellent. Their... John's cursing them for you. <laughs> I think the Ravens are, at their best, a better team. And we saw, especially in that Lions game, that their ceiling is really high when everything clicks. I don't know if we've seen it all that often this season. But you can say the same thing about the Seahawks, that they, they do look really good when everything clicks. But they, they have flaws that can be exploited. And I, I think I think I buy the argument that the Baltimore defense is the, is the unit in this game that can exploit the other side's weaknesses and deficiencies the best and therefore they're the ones that will lead them to victory that's fair uh, at this midpoint i'm also going to lock down that i am officially uh locking up miami to win at kansas city <laughs> uh we have we've currently got a great streak of anything we say is definitely going to happen uh the opposite has happened so either uh the chiefs will win or i'll have finally broken the curse of the lock um, i don't know if you can do it Consciously, I think no, no, because I could because no, last week I jokingly locked the Chiefs and that happened, so I think it's not taking tone into account. Yeah, God, God, God is a uh, cruel. Uh, uh, as for uh, Ronan's up next, yeah, Arizona, yeah. Cleveland. Tell us about this one. We've got Cleveland hard, across the board. Yeah, it's a very hard game to predict. I think we're picking Cleveland because at least we know they have a strong defense, and that's good enough to kind of probably get them a win here. But we don't know who's going to start for quarterback for Cleveland. Watson is back in practice. Who knows if that means he's going to play or not? It hasn't been uh, very certain. And he's if getting he plays, paid either way. How long? Well, <laughs> that's it. How long he lasts, even if he does play, I have no idea. This Gannon defense has been probably overperformed its talent level, but you know it had some vulnerabilities. But it's been it's been okay uh, given what they have. Uh, whereas Cleveland's defense is obviously quite talented and uh, performing quite well. And we don't know if Kyler's going to start for Arizona or it'll be Clayton June. Um, so. Really, I have no idea how to pick this game, but Cleveland have a good defense. We're favoring them right now, but this is this is a wibbly-wobbly game that I have no idea what's going to look like by the time you actually get to Sunday. Yeah, Sean's pick of the week is the AFC East, or sorry, NFC East. It's uh, Dallas at Philly, and we've gone for Philly across the board, Sean. 
Yeah, as every other team, big team, has been exposed for the frauds that they are, the Eagles have slowly crept up and up and up, and now they are probably the best team in the NFL. Uh, and they look like the team to beat. And certainly for Dallas, who started the season so strongly, especially on the defensive side, and then had that absolute meltdown against the 49ers, have been trying to rebuild their reputation since. This is the kind of this is the get-right game. It's 7-1 and one against 6-2. and two. The Cowboys are still alive, and if they can... They get their defense against out at the Eagles' offense, and, and obviously divisional games come with their own particular uh, brand of voodooism and such. Like teams seem to have certain knowledges about other teams that they can do. The Cowboys' defense is going to be interesting to see if if they having failed the Niners' test, how they do against the Eagles' test. Um, be interesting to see. I think you just have to favor the Eagles largely because I think on both sides of the ball, they're they're more in a solid, developed place. The, the Offenses come together, albeit as we said, a little bit too pass-heavy in recent times, and that the defense, especially the front end of the defense, looks quite scary. Whereas with the Cowboys, obviously the defense is the strength, but they can be exposed, as the 49ers showed. And I imagine the the Eagles coaching team is looking at that at that game film and trying to figure out what the Niners did. The big question mark for me is the Dallas offense. I just don't think they're at the level they need to be. I think they're play way too conservative in order to try to avoid. Uh, Dak making stupid mistakes, but the problem is that's just not going to cut her in a game of this standard, and and I do wonder if the Eagles will just... It might be close to the start, but I think the Eagles will, will drift away because it's a game that if the if Dallas had a better offense, it could be a shootout, but I just don't think the Cowboys have the ability to keep pace with the Eagles in that scenario. Yeah, I think Dallas came out of their bye hot. Like, they were like, uh, upstart Rams, some people were like, maybe they can do something against Dallas, and Dallas was like, no, no, we're going to do that early season dominance on all three phases, and it obviously won't be as easy against the more complete Philly team, but Philly, they're dealing with a few hurts on the defensive line. I know, I think Carter and uh, Milton Williams will both play, but they're both picking up injuries, and, you know, they've been a bit up and down, right? And I just kind of have a feeling maybe... Um, this will be a much closer game than I would have expected like before like before the bye. And I think maybe Dallas have learned a few things during their bye and they're kind of ready to, to rock and they'll be well up for this game. But yeah, yeah. I think Philly just gave big based on their, uh, obviously their winning record and class. I'm going to pick them anyway, but I, I, have, I have a sneaky feeling Dallas might be, could actually show up at least for this game because if they get blown out like they did against the 49ers, then I'm willing to put them in just like, okay, you're going to be in the playoffs, but I don't care about you. Yeah, I've actually decided just to swap my pick there to Dallas. Uh, I was just thinking about like, I think Philly have underperformed a bit in one or two of the more recent games and have let teams that are less good than Dallas get up ahead in them or run them close to the end. Like I said, Dallas came out hot out of the bye. This is a divisional game that's very important to them. They're probably a bit fresher having had the bye and there's a few injury knocks. Now, the problem is I'm not sure they're... they're, uh, they're plan from last week is going to work because Philly have the kind of defensive backfield that they might be able to lock up CD Lamb and therefore you're going to have to start going to your secondary options and that but we'll see I'm, I'm going to go with Dallas because also I'm I'm seven picks behind in the Pick'em <laughs> game so uh, I was like if I can get a if I can get a close to a 50-50 I might as well take it there um, yeah, but yeah I think so. Dallas owe us a good performance against a good team they like, do yeah. and it would help with the continuously we don't we're finding it hard to work out the narrative of some of these top teams that if yeah. Dallas now come in and kick Philly in the face and then like you know the, the circle of parity continues um, next up Indianapolis at Carolina we've gone for Indy across the board Carolina got their first win last week but they didn't exactly look good in it um yeah, like, I'm not sure if that's going to continue. I know they were very happy and they were praising the game script since changing over the play caller and everything, but it didn't fill me with a huge amount of uh, 
of, of faith in it afterwards versus this is an indie team that has a decent defense it'll cause them some issues Minshew has up and down games he has a lot of turnovers but I'm kind of feeling a Minshew game here to kind of say look I am as good as some of these guys I deserve a job in the league kind of thing um so yeah I think this should be this should be fine I'd also hope to see Taylor come in and do a little bit more in this game so they've been kind of ramping him up a little bit and he's been showing some decent stuff so like yeah I, I'd hope big Taylor game Indy handle Carolina Carolina go back to chill out they've, they've got their win They've proved they're not tanking. Now they can go back to sleep, I think. Uh, Sean, the... Oh, gosh. <laughs> the Giants are taking on the Raiders. Tell us about fact, this one. Factory of Sadness Bowl. Yeah. Uh, it's, um, this is going to be a grim game. At least the Giants offensively can't be as bad as they were last week because if they have Danny Dimes back and they presumably will have some sort of passing game this Wait, week. Wait, that, that, that's... Positive. <laughs> well, over my over Danny DeVito. <laughs> yes, yeah, he definitely has won the Danny man. the Danny battle of quarterbacks. Definitely, Danny Dimes gets my gets my vote. Uh, I think you got to go for the Giants here because their defense is looking in a in a, in a good place. So they, I think they're going to get at the Raiders a bit, and I think their offense will be a little bit better, or hopefully at least a little bit better than they were last week. Whereas the Raiders, I think it's just going to be chaos. I mean, this is a situation where mid midweek. Uh, right after a trade deadline in which they didn't pick up any good players, the players get told that they, you know, that the their head coach and the GM is gone, and that they rebuild, and they've got a new court, new starting quarterback, and the linebacker coach is now the head coach. I just think it's going to be chaos on the on the Raiders side. I can't see them putting together any kind of coherent game plan. And I think the Giants' defense, in particular, will just pick them apart and do enough to win this game on their own. Um, and the Raiders. Yeah, it's, it's it's a long way back from what they what they did midweek, I think. Yeah, that seems fair. Ronan, you've picked uh, the big one here, uh, Sunday night football. Buffalo heading over to Cincinnati to take on the Bengals. Yeah, it's a it's a very interesting game. Obviously, uh, a rematch from the playoffs last year, and maybe a few weeks ago, Buffalo go oh, maybe revenge is on the table. The Bengals struggling a bit, but now it looks like the the Bengals after their usual. Uh, Early season swoon are rounding back into the being the Bengals we expect. Burrow looks fully healthy right now. He's slinging it out to Jamar Chase. He's slinging it out to T. Higgins. He's finding Tyler Boyd a bit. Joe Mixon is coming in, and the offense suddenly looks like it's back to you know peak Cincinnati offense. And this is a Buffalo defense that's obviously quite vulnerable right now, uh, given all of the defensive uh, injuries that they've picked up. Obviously, they picked up. Uh, Rasul Douglas to maybe shore up their defensive backs at least, but it does feel like this is a big challenge for this Buffalo defense just to hold this Bengals offense in check and stop this from turning into a shootout. And if it turns into a shootout, you imagine it's going to have to be Josh Allen doing it all himself again, uh, trying to spread the ball out because you'd imagine they'll be able to shut down uh, Diggs to some extent. This is a, you know, it's not the most like big name defense in the league, but under Anarumo, they've consistently been a force and they've, they're one of the best uh, evolution defenses. They are one of those defenses that is constantly changing and adapting and you know focusing in on the things you're trying to do and taking those away as the game is ongoing that's been a huge strength of this defense uh, through the years and Buffalo I don't know have necessarily been one of those offenses that's managed to you know have that same level of evolution it's like you kind of know what they're going to do and they do it really well and Josh Allen is sometimes unstoppable uh, but it's really tough but I think you know for Buffalo obviously given the way they lost this game in the playoffs last year 
you know, and some of the way the uh, the games have gone this year, I don't think they can really afford to get blown out by Cincinnati even away from home. And that could be a big kind of statement against them for the rest of the year because I think we've all got big doubts about Buffalo, but we still think that they're a good team. They still have talent. They still the have potential is there. It's just but a, they need they yeah. need to show up and they need to do it. And I think you know, even if they don't win this game, if they can at least keep up with Cincinnati, then that would restore some of the fate we have but the way Cincinnati are playing right now their defense is playing well Burrow is back you know I would put them pretty much up against anyone in the entire NFL right now and perhaps would pick Cincinnati right now because when they're at full strength and they're playing hot they are truly one of the best teams in the league so I think we're all picking Cincinnati for that reason given how hot they're getting but Buffalo are good teams so you got to give them a chance but big test for them they need to show up yeah, yeah I, I, I think on form you got to pick the Bengals but I will say the Bills are kind of a good regular season revenge team. I mean, they have they did beat the Chiefs last week, last year, in the regular season. They're very good at getting up for regular season games against playoff teams. I mean, they obviously the big performance against the Dolphins as well. So they are kind of, at least in the regular season, a, a, a big game kind of team. So you'd imagine that they're hurting and they, and they, they want to, they they're angry and they want to get back. Is that going to be enough against the Bengals team that is figured out an awful lot of things and has Burrow back at their at his peak? Probably not, but I think it could be an interesting game. It could go back and forth for sure. Yeah, like the plus for Buffalo's are probably... Kincaid was getting a lot more use and possibly Dawson Knox going down has meant that they're going to find they have a little bit more uh, use for the young tight end, and I think that can help them a bit. Like Their run game needs to do a little bit more in this game if they're to be able to control the clock and try and slow down the Cincy offense a bit. So... Yeah, like I said, I'll take Cincy on the current form, but yeah, like Buffalo have the potential to step up and play a big game and take out Cincinnati. The problem is they've kind of shit the bed a couple of times of late. Uh, even last week in what was a very big performance from Allen, they still only put up 24 points. And if the Cincinnati team is firing, I would imagine they'll put up more than that. So that's where that's where the question is going to be, and that's why I'm citing Cincy at the moment. And finally, Monday Night Football the LA Chargers take on the New York Jets. Will there be 25 punts? I don't know. <laughs> Eckler is back, so the question is, can this Chiefs, or can this Chargers offense kind of get going again and look a bit more consistent? But this is a Jets defense that Cat and as Sean said in the, in the review, like the last time the guys were just running the ball exclusively, they should have been able to shut that down a little bit more. Like this Jets defense is capable of shutting down run games and they're going to need to do that in this game uh, because Eckler, when he's on form, is kind of a game changer for them. The Chargers defense is a bit of a problem. They've been massively underperforming this year. So will they be able to do a little bit more against what's been a faltering Jets offense? But we've seen at times the Jets offense kick into gear and be able to do stuff. So I'd expect to see an awful lot of Brees Hall in this game, try and get him moving outside, try and get him against linebackers and do what they can with that. Because if this game is going to be on Zach Wilson's shoulders, it's not a great Chargers defense, but it doesn't take a lot to push Zach Wilson over the edge. Yeah, like I'm ready to be hurt again. I'm willing to pick the Chargers this week, even though they're the fucking Chargers. But like, this feels like this could be our tie. One team <laughs> has Justin Herbert. And the other team has Zach Wilson. Ah, Objectively, one of one of whom has a track record of finishing games well. <laughs> you know, I'm just saying. That's why I'm picking the Jets. Yes, the Chargers should win. They should win. They're obviously a better team. They actually have an offense, and like their defense is bad. But like they've been okayish recently, and they just have to stop Brees Hall. Just stop Brees Hall, and you'll probably win. And maybe Garrett Wilson occasionally, and they'll probably win. They just need to put up probably. 
14 points. 20 points almost definitely will win you the game. I don't just, know. I've got, do I, I've, I've got a feeling this is going to be 24-21. Like, I, like, I have... like Obviously, we could ana- analyse this game, but it's a Chargers game, so it belies analysis. It's just a Chargers game. And then it's got the weird Jets, Zach Wilson Jets. So it's just like, blah, I don't know. It I, could be interesting, at least. I just kind of feel we're going to get something like the Chargers-Cowboys game in which the Chargers... Offense just can't score that many points. We'll score like 17 points. And then, so basically all Zach Wilson and, and Brees Hall and them need to do is find a way to get 20 points. I mean, even if the if the Jets' defense could help out with a pick six or something, that would also be good. Um, I just, yeah, obviously there are, both these teams are very strong one side of the ball and not so strong on the other side of the ball. And you can make the argument that the Chargers' defense is less bad than the Jets' offense, but... Uh, if it comes down to spirit and heart and who wants this to win, if it's a close game and it comes down to who wants to win this game more, A, I trust Zach Wilson more than I trust uh, Justin Herbert to have a game-winning drive at the end, and B, I trust the Jets' collective spirit a lot more than I trust the Chargers to not charge again. So I think in the, un- in the intangibles, I think it's a, it that will be what get the Jets over the line. Uh, and I think it'll be an ugly game, though, certainly. The fact that this is so up in the air is why you should never trust the Chargers. <laughs> Basically, oh, the, yeah. the Chargers will keep rolling critical fails and the Jets will have like two nat 20s and that'll be enough to win the game. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> Very good. So any plans for the weekend, lads? Uh, no, I think a uh, quiet one here. I think my wife is away in Dublin for the... For the weekend, so I'm taking care of the animals. So oh, be very many, good. Many walks in the rain, I'm sure. Exciting times, taking the cat out. <laughs> <laughs> Hetty would love that. What about yourself, Fitz? You're off up to Cavan to see the new arrival? Yeah, shower him with gifts and all that. But uh, yeah, looking forward to that. Looking forward to seeing the family and obviously a, a great time there. But uh, obviously outside that, uh, there probably won't be time for much else except for catching a bit of red zone hopefully on the Sunday. Very good, Jeno. Yeah, I'm off to uh, a friend of ours from back in our college days. Emmett is getting married, so I'm heading up to Monaghan to his wedding. So that'll be good crack. Uh, and then kind of coming back down to, uh, you know, collect the dog off uh, another friend of ours is looking after him for the weekend and then obviously we've got is it a 2.30 kickoff for the for the Frankfurt game I think right. so we get a nice solid day of football in then to recover from the wedding so that'll be uh, <laughs> that'll be good so for now it's bye from myself bye from Ronan bye bye from Sean bye it's been all four quarters thanks for listening and we'll chat to you next week bye